Well, hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the No Bullcrap Podcast. Thank you all for joining us today. I am joined by uh, three incredible men starting on my left here. I have my, my dad, founder howdy, howdy. and uh, CEO of Patriot Academy, which you guys know a lot about. Dad, thanks for joining us for this episode. And next to him is Mr. Mark Meckler, uh, founder and CEO and president, correctly? Just uh, Chief all the, Puma, whatever all the above. Yeah. Grand of, uh, Wizard. Yeah, yeah I'll t- any title <laughs> you give me, I will take gladly. Awesome. Yeah. I uh, have the power. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody listening to this podcast is going to even know who He-Man is. Probably but not. But y'all remember that, right? No? no. Oh, no. you don't remember the, I have the power? The Okay, fine. I'm the only. Here we go already. Yeah. I don't yeah, watch right. cartoons. But yeah, Rick's <laughs> off the rails already. Well, you haven't even finished the introduction. I haven't. I haven't. Anyway, Mark is uh, with Convention Estates, and I've talked a little bit about that before. Um, and then next to him is my pastor, Mr. Doug Giles. Doug, you staying rowdy, man? Uh, of course. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> COVID! Well, today we're going to talk about fatherhood, and um, I'm really excited about this episode. Uh, For one, it was requested by a friend of mine, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought it was just going to be a really good conversation to have. Um, But a benefit, I think, from having this conversation about fatherhood, 70% of my audience is female, and so I think this is really going to help that side of my audience know for what to look in for a future husband and a guy that they're interested dude, in. Dude, how is 70% of your audience female? <laughs> dude, I don't what know. What are you doing, man? I've tried to figure it out. I have no idea. It's, it's the ass. No, he's got, no, he's got that whole freaking Keith Partridge thing. Going. <laughs> it's the smile. Like if the you abs. if you grew your hair out down to here, mm-hmm. like kind of like... Like you did? Yeah, like two-thirds <laughs> two thirds of the length of uh, Cameron's hair, and then you parted it in the middle and you feathered it. He'd be freaking David Casty, wouldn't he? <laughs> now you're describing me I in high school. I think I love you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just 70% have to try that chick. <laughs> yep, yep. Come on, That's impressive. Rick. Now we know why you do the right. podcast. Yeah. I was right. wondering. <laughs> I think it's I all think about you, the direct message. I think you ought to set up new goals and go for 90% chicks. <laughs> yeah. But We're actually, having the three 90. of us on, you're blowing the numbers. For yeah. sure. So if you got so Ricky Martin, he had that kind of split. It didn't turn out well for him. It ended up he was gay. So do you have anything you want to confess? To? Not that being gay is not that there's anything wrong. Not that being gay is gay. Right. right. Oh my goodness, this is really off the rails already. We're not even five oh minutes gosh. in. You're in so much trouble, and you yeah. knew this was going to happen. I did. I know what I'm getting happen. myself yeah. into. Yeah. yeah no, I've, I've, I've got a good idea. Let's... When he thought, let's get right. Doug, Mark, and Rick together. Let's just see what happens. I have an it's idea. Just... Let's swim in a blender. Yeah. It's the foolishness of youth. <laughs> yes, is what you it, would is. Call it. That. it is. Oh my gosh. All right. No, you you no, might want to try to rein this thing in a little bit. A little bit. Exactly. You want us to go with this? Oh, fatherhood. That's yeah. Yeah, fatherhood. Actually, I will. I will say knowing. Knowing what you're looking for and what the qualities are that at least give you a starting chance, right? It doesn't mean anything's perfect or going to work out great, but the idea that 70% female audience that those gals, have they ever asked you that? Have you actually had messages from people about on any of your social media saying, what do I look for or what from some of the girls that are just maybe coming to the Lord and just starting to think about a having a family? Anyway, all of that yeah. to say... Whether you're a guy or a girl, thinking ahead and saying, and not just going with emotions and who you quote unquote fall in love with and being, you know, watching a Nicholas Sparks movie and thinking it's, you know, all because it's raining and 
Doug's like Nicholas Sparks. I don't know who that is either. <laughs> he man, Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> see, see, okay, you're you're okay, the, see one of the Jonah Brothers. No, 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 no notebook fans. Okay, you're seventy percent of your audience will know who that is. Wow. <laughs> okay, so uh, real quick to actually just rein this back in. Um, I, I think we can all agree that. Um, as a nation and as a world, so many of the issues that we're facing today can come back to the lack of biblical fatherhood and raising up a family in the way that the kids should go, and according to Scripture, how that role should be played out in a society. And so um, I'll just start with like the broad question and throw that out there. <clears throat> what do you all think is the purpose of fatherhood? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> The purpose. Wow, suddenly we got serious. Yeah. None of us have anything Let's to say. Let's go back talking kidding. about your demographic. <laughs> <laughs> so let's well, okay. to, I'll, I'll, to me, like when, when I had uh, uh, my two kiddos, Hannah and Regis, and um, uh, this thing called responsibility throat punched me. Because, you know, before it's like, hey, I'm young, I'm in the ministry, hey, I got some businesses going. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have kids. And like, holy crap. I don't want Hannah or Regis to ever fall for some kind of drug-addled moron like I used to be. <laughs> so with them being girls, I mean, you're really on your game. Yeah. Not saying that you're loosey-goosey with the, with the boys yeah, and stuff. Yeah, because yeah, yes. yeah, again, you know, my, the forward of my book, uh, Raising Righteous and Rowdy Girls, I said, um, I'm dedicating this to fathers to make certain that their daughters uh, never buy the bullcrap that we used to be the purveyors of. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so my whole thing is like when I when I had Hannah and Reed, it's like I want to turn them into these absolute nightmares for the powers of darkness. I don't want them to be goofy, you know, backward, fear laden type religious girls. Yeah. I wanted to turn them into holy, you know, nightmares for everything that's uh, unjust and unholy and ungood. And so we, we raised them on purpose. You know, you, you quoted that scripture in Proverbs 22, verse 6, <clears throat> where it says, raise up a child in the way you should go, and when he's old, he doesn't depart from it. But they do. They all do. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why? And I think the emphasis, like if you read it in the Amplified Bible, it's raise up a child in the way he should go in keeping with his individual gift and bent. Mm -hmm. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. So as a, as a dad, I've always been, you know, I, I hate uniformity. Yeah. I hate clones. You know, I had this, uh, this chick the other day come up to me and she goes, she said, well, she goes, uh, I don't really like your style of ministry. I don't like how you communicate. She goes, you're not like other preachers. And I said, you know what? Can I quote you on Thank that? Thank God. Thank you very <laughs> much. Because to me, other preachers put me in a full-on coma, you know. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, um, with Han and Reach, um, they're very similar, very different, and I've never told either one of them what to do with their life because they're God's kids. I'm just here coaching, superintending, making sure that, you know, they don't do, you know, too much egregious stuff in an unrighteous sense. So my whole thing is where is God telling Hannah Reach to go and then, then me being the protective you know, ass kicker that I am and cover them. And when your daughter comes up to you and she said, Daddy, I feel like God spoke to me <clears throat> at the ripe old age of 19. I'm like, really? What did he tell you, Hannah? She goes, well, 
I think he wants me to go into Obama's claim to fame called Acorn and wear stripper heels in a miniskirt and videotape them giving home loans for whorehouses for underage sex slaves from El Salvador. Now, what kind of dad, what, oh. what would a dad say to that? What would your normal, you know, little dipstick Christian dad yeah. say to that? And I knew her, I knew her heart, I knew her intention, I knew that that was a CD organization, I'd been writing about it, and following, you know, all the stuff that had been doing, you know, the voter fraud, collapsing the housing market, and I was like, this is righteous, you know? It's a little sketchy, but <laughs> it's righteous. And uh, lo and behold, she uh, brought them down to the ground on April Fool's Day of 2010, yeah. such an apropos date and saved us $8.5 billion in stimulus money that would go to a, a CD organization named ACORN and would probably would have shift the democratic or the demographic gestalt of America forever center left, you know, pretty much what Biden and them are doing right now. But she interrupted that nightmare, you know, and um, again, she did it at 19. And so like, if I had this thing, you're gonna be a Christian girl, you're gonna do this, you're gonna do that then I probably would have uh, dissuaded her or tried to. But I knew that, you know, she's got a funky calling on her life. So does Regis. They go and do things that no other Christian girls would really even go into those kind of realms and phrase, and they're successful. So that verse, I think the emphasis, it's like, you know, train up a, train up a child in the way he, he should go instead of, uh, instead put the, uh, the emphasis on he, not should. You know, you should do this. It's not the no, way he, he should, should go. go. Or she should right. go. Yeah. Exactly. That's, That's good. That, I like that. I, I like the way. Yeah. And let's unpack that a little bit the responsibility aspect you talked about at first there in the beginning and then there at the end. Not forcing your kids to believe a certain way or to do a certain thing or even to be a Christian. How have you guys gone about? handling that pre presenting your kids with what you believe to be the truth with your belief system but then trusting in the lord that he's got to do the work on their hearts to believe what is actually true how, how did did you guys walk about doing that yeah i would say that you know for me for a good chunk of my life i failed in that regard in a certain sense because i was not a christian and so i didn't know to train up my kids that way and to the contrary i was an atheist or an agnostic and so my attitude about faith and training up my kids in the ways of the Lord was, you know, I just let it be. And my wife was a person of faith, but she was just essentially, I would say, you know, she had a personal faith and didn't impose that on the kids either. I would have probably objected, to be honest with you. And so my kids grew up without faith in the house. We, it's interesting because I was raised sort of the same way, very strong Judeo-Christian code of ethics, like seriously enforced in my house when I was growing up and in the same way with my kids, but no connection to God. And it's in my, in my life, it's one of the few things I regret because my kids didn't get that foundation. My belief in watching them go and, and having them watch me over the last eight years now, since I've come to the Lord is they're coming that way. Uh, Lucy's marrying a really righteous man of God. And so I'm happy about that. And just a couple of weeks from now, uh, Jacob's He's got the right name. He's wrestling with the Lord. <laughs> he's wrestling with the Lord. <laughs> and he's good. super intellectual, a lot like me in the sense that everything has to be logical. You got to think your way through. You got to read the books. And so he's doing that dance. But, I, you know, as a I think as a dad, I, I failed in that regard, in, in the faith regard. You know what's interesting, though? Wait, I know you got uh, because what Doug was talking about, you didn't fail in. In other words, you know, it's 
even the unrighteous who are not giving the glory to God, if they're applying biblical principles, right. applying his principles and the laws of nature, nature's God, the result can still be good and is yeah. still good. And you look at your kids and how well they turned out and how purposeful they are and the things that they're doing. Yeah, you much. did raise them up in the way that they should go, meaning you called out and encouraged and saw their talents and all of those things even if you missed the faith element in yeah. those early years, I'll right? That. Does that make sense? Yeah, in other absolutely. words, the spiritual principle that he's talking about, you still applied not knowing. Not knowing it was the spiritual yeah. principle. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I look at it very similar to the, the way Doug did. I almost considered myself like I'm their drill instructor. And I don't mean that in the harsh sense. You know, I, I didn't scream and yell at my kids generally or torture them like a drill instructor does. But if you, if you know anybody who's ever been a drill instructor, the reason they are the way they are and they do the things they do is because they know that those young men are going out and they're going to put their lives on the line. And if they don't do it right, if they don't train those young men up right, those young men are going to die and it's going to be their fault. It's on them. And so in raising my kids, that was my feeling. Not that I was sending them off to literal battle, but you are sending them out into the world and the world is a battle. And that I had to do that right and I had to make sure they had the right principles and the right foundation because I didn't ever want them to be surprised. I always thought my role as a dad is to make sure you're not surprised. You don't have to listen to me. You don't have to follow my advice, but I'm gonna tell you from my perspective what I think. If you do that, this is what I think is gonna happen. Don't come back to me and tell me you're shocked by it. I'm not gonna be offended if you did it, I, even though I told you maybe you shouldn't, but I just don't want you to be surprised. And I think kind of laying out that path for your kids so that they have some idea what's coming from the decisions they make is one of our primary roles as dads. Well, and you use the word responsibility. I mean, that's exactly what you're saying. I was responsible for making sure that they were at least equipped, but left the decision up to them. And, and, you know, recognizing that I think all three of us probably had this in common. We treated our kids like adults in a way, right? We, did, we, we weren't afraid to reason with them even at 10 years old or to talk about life and everything on the table and i think i think that's probably on the faith thing the same same way that <clears throat> if you do just force it and say you're going to do this because you're going to believe this this is the only way most kids end up running from that at the end of the day but if you're just laying things out and letting them reason and you are always as you know ready to answer if they have the question that's you get a different result when you do it that way well you got this from from your dad my grandfather that he would have conversations. With he was you about a master stuff. at he it. Talk you through it, and so, and you did the same with us. So, expound on that a little bit. A little bit, like why is that important to not just say, "Here's how it's going to happen," because I'm the man of the household and I'm your dad. But instead, reason and make sure your kids understand why things are the way they are. Well, because what's the expression? A person convinced against their will is unconvinced still, or however that thing goes. Right? I mean, it's like I could. I can just tell you, you have to believe it, that you're not going to believe it. You're going to do whatever it takes to get out from under my roof as soon as you can, right? And you might tell me to my face what I want to hear to, you know, not be kicked out before you're ready to go, but that's gained nobody anything. Whereas if, if I'm helping you to think and teaching you to think and to reason, and, and certainly I'm going to be biased in the, you know, as I'm, as I'm doing that and try to lead you to truth, it's no different than what we do with youth today. You try to lead them to the right answer. It's like the Socratic method in, in terms of teaching done with questions, an awful lot of questions, and getting you to think through it. But um, I don't think that's done very much today. I think that's why you see a mass exodus of Christian kids leaving the faith, leaving the family, split with, especially in the, in the harder 
you know, bonnet wearing homeschool crowd, you know, that, that, that we see a lot of, I think it's something about a 70% drop off rate. Yeah. It's once bad. Kids go to college and raised in your typical American Christian home, which yeah, is more you, rules. You know, the reason why they're doing it because, you know, exactly what, you know, Rick said and, you know, Mark was talking about, I want to, I want them to be prepped. So when, when they leave, you know, these four walls and assimilate in the real world, that they're not turned into roadkill. And, and that's the, you know, we were, when I think Han and Reach were three and five, we moved to South Florida and everybody's like, you know, that's where the devil lived. <laughs> and we had people telling us our kids are going to fall away from God. They're going to start dancing naked on cocaine down in some cage on Ocean Drive. And I mean, just all this hoodoo voodoo type, you know, stuff that we were getting warned about. And uh, I, I knew that there was a cultural war brewing. I knew that there's a spiritual war that's been brewing since the Garden of Eden. And I didn't want my kids to, uh, again, to be carnage, you know, on the highway of life and stuff. And so one of the, I think one of the key things that my wife and I did is that we didn't give them iPads or video games. And like, you know, so when you start having serious conversations at your house, and we had all kinds, we had an eclectic group of just miscreant zombies that would pour through our place in in Miami. I mean, we had, my business partner was a diplomat under uh, Reagan's administration to Saudi Arabia. We had missionaries, we had doctors, we had lawyers. Um, in Miami, you know, Christians are the odd duck. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're the minority there. And so we, we had some wonderful Jewish uh, surgeons and Marines and lawyers, we just, and we had, you know, uh, trainers and authors, and we would always have uh, dinner parties and stuff. And Hannah and Regis were right frickin' there listening to everything, you know, from the time that they were, you know, wee little lassies and stuff. And we never told them, you know, go upstairs and, you know, turn on the TV, and they just sit there drooling like some stupid zombie kid. Exactly. And uh, I, I tell you, man, I go to, uh, I don't get invited to many places I, <laughs> for, for all the reasons you're, you're hearing. You're invited here. <laughs> right. I told Kara, I was like, thank you. Thank you. Somebody likes me. Because <clears throat> you don't know what I'm going to do. And uh, so anyway, um, I've been in Christian homes where the conversation was full on lit and they, and the the kids were told, they were given their frickin' iPad, and they're like, go play on that for a while, and they just sit over there with the eye posture, head down, doing some kind of stupid game. And it was all I could do to keep from pulling a Jesus and rebuking the whole household. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? You're turning this kid into a moron. And um, you need to, even if they don't get every other word or every 10th word, you know, they're, they're, here's what, here's what they, here's what they see and understand. And I think the same stuff, uh, for youth ministry and like children's church, right? It's like, let's take the children and let's take them out of, you know, yeah. the adult thing. And it's the reason why is because you got a little Tasmanian devil that you have in discipline right? and that you got to tase, you know, every 30 <laughs> minutes, keeping in line or duck, don't tase taping, me, bro. Don't tase know? me, dad. Is that right? <laughs> Show me in the scripture where Jesus or Moses said, separate the kids right. from what's going on here. He said, if you do that, he said, Jesus said, that's a sin. He said, bring the little kids here. And so he's ministering with the kids in the midst. And um, so anyway, uh, I don't know where I was going with no, that. No, this is really good. I don't want rant, you to lose but, this. Stay yeah, with this. Because yeah, so 
I, I just loathe when people take the kids yeah. and move them away. Like when we would go to conferences when I'd be speaking or we'd be listening to somebody else speak, Han and Reach, boom, they're right with us. Yeah. You know, they're not the with some child molester, you know, back in, you know, yeah. in, in, in the, the children's in the Sunday school yeah. class. The, the <clears throat> impact of that, I'd love to interview Hannah and Reed on that, you know, and, and even the stuff, that, a lot of it, obviously, they wouldn't even remember today. But when you, even when you read Ronald Reagan, he, he talked about how at 10 and 11 and 12 years old, that the church that they went to, the pastor would come over for lunch with the family and bring these Russian dissidents that would talk about how bad communism was. And, and he talked about how at that age, he, he learned to hate communism and the evil of it. Now think about that. And then, you know, 60 years later, he's bringing down the Soviet Union, right? I mean, you just don't know. And to think, what if his parents had done that? What if his mom or dad had done that and said, you, you know, go outside and play instead of being involved in this conversation? And it also goes back to the whole thing about treating these kids like kids until they're literally in their 20s so that that's why we have these safe space. You know, people can't, can't handle a debate in college, can't handle a, an opposing view because they've never sat around the dinner table and and had those those discussions about real things in life and you know that was part of what i think we did that was important was say at 13 you're a man yeah. at 13 you're a woman you're you you're it's time to take on responsibility and if i know that biblically you're a man at 13 then i got to back up in that food chain right back up in that timeline and say well then what do i need to be teaching you at 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 so that at 13 you feel like you're a man right and do you know anyway. do you know uh, sebastian maniscalco i don't Oh my gosh, you you guys owe me. Do you know Sebastian? No. So I think he's the funniest comedian, like from a clean content standpoint. I mean, he's, he drops the f bomb every now and then. But I was about to say when Doug dies, <laughs> says clean content. Right. I, it's not I every other. It's not every other word. Okay. <laughs> he's he's not Bill Burr. Okay. <laughs> and I think Bill Burr's the second, or he's up there with Sebastian. Those guys are a full on riot. But Sebastian uh, Maniscalco, obviously, you know, Italian. And um, he's he's riffing on you know these snowflake tinker pots that are living in mommy and daddy's basement. They haven't ever gotten a job, and they're now in the throes of their midlife crisis. And he said he said he was when he was eight years old that he was watching cartoons, and his his dad goes, "What are you doing?" Slaps him in the back of the head, and he goes, "Go start a business." <laughs> That's a good way to start. Yeah, he was probably watching He Man. <laughs> what is that again? Or Ricky Martin. Or Ricky Martin. So did you guys have your kids doing chores at a young age? Like oh, my they, God. They work around Absolutely. the property? Yeah, you know, I probably wasn't as good at that as I, I should have been, but but everybody did, you know, have a particular job to do. And sometimes we'd put the, the chores on the whiteboard, and I'd put a price on each chore. Yeah, say, that's you can good. I like that. You, want. you remember that? You remember that, Reagan? That was my first lesson in savings and investment. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, so we lived uh, in Miami in condos, home association, so everything, there was really no chore because everybody's taken care of, you know, with the exorbitant... Uh, HOA fees that we paid back then that really came in handy from a security standpoint once you know Hannah destroyed Acorn because everybody and their dog was pressing to the hoop to try oh, to get yeah. to us and we had this big Haitian you know security guards like you turn this around right now I'm gonna shoot you in the face no yeah we had TV trucks lined up as far as the eye could see local national and international so so we didn't really have a chore type, you know go feed the chickens and you know milk the cow and go bale hay and stuff but they had their they had their own little jobs, man. They would do dog walking services and stuff. I remember Regis really got pissed off when 
Hannah landed uh, several dog walking gigs, and she wanted to <laughs> she wanted to come and uh, uh, try to you know put a stick in the spokes of Hannah's entrepreneurial launch. And um, she goes, Dad. She goes, Hannah is working for a secondhand smoker. <laughs> a secondhand. <laughs> That's what I am tonight here. Yeah, I am you a are. Second You're the second-hand smoker. Yeah. <laughs> You're second, third, fourth. I got, by the way, just so you guys know, I, I will publicly humiliate myself here. So I'm, so I'm sitting around a table, three guys smoking cigars. I'm not... I did attempt. Well, at least you're not drinking a cosmopolitan. <laughs> exactly, but I did attempt to smoke cigars with these guys one time. Does Doug know what happened to me? At, at I, I remember. I remember you turning white. You were sitting across from Doug. Remember sweating, Doug was over in the sweating like a hooker. At oh, it's worse. Yeah. On the way home, I had to pull over and really? hurl. Man. No way. <laughs> yeah. So this, I swore so off what, cigars. That so was what? It. I'm done. What cigar did you smoke? I don't know what it was, what? but the, you know what it made me feel. It was this. It was hot and kind of humid, and smoking the cigar. Yeah, and at some point, I remember thinking. I need to go in and look at Doug's artwork because I don't feel very good. <laughs> you know what? If you had hurled on his artwork. I remember that night because I found a pile of vomit <laughs> behind, me, behind one of my paintings. It's like, it stinks like crap in here. No, I actually back, made it about a third of the way home. But yeah, so that I swore off cigars. I'm done. So. These guys told me, well, if you drink sweet tea, you'll feel fine. So I am drinking sweet tea, but I am not smoking a cigar. But you're drinking the sweet tea so you can handle the secondhand exactly. smoke. Well, hey, I got it. a little girl cigar right here for you if you want this one. It's real tiny. <laughs> Luckily, this is not on video, but I did just out myself. Yeah. Look, yeah. So my kids did a whole bunch of chores, and it's really funny. You know, We lived on some property, not, not a big place, but we had about uh, six acres. and So there was always lawns to mow, and, and just we'd go out and we'd do the hard work and then ask the kids to move some brush or whatever. Yeah. And they hated it. And so <laughs> we were trying to make it into a game. They didn't think it was fun. <laughs> we thought it was fun. You know, we liked to be out in the garden. This and, tumbleweed game sucks. <laughs> yeah, it was just torture for them, you know. <laughs> And uh, it's funny because Jacob will still tell me how much like he just loathes the idea of yard work because we made him do it. But they did. It was interesting because I used to think, man, they're just so lazy. My kids are horribly lazy. And we used to abuse them pretty hard for being so lazy and not wanting to do any work. And I remember when Jacob got his first job and he's a busboy in a restaurant. So we go down to this local restaurant, me and Patty. We're really proud. He's got his first job. And and we go watch him. We get into the restaurant, and there's some young guy that I don't recognize moving like a freaking blur. It's like this kid is working and sweating, and it's just unbelievable. And I'm thinking, who, who is that who guy? Who is this kid? Right. And <laughs> he came by our table, and I said, dude, what is the deal? Like, you're working so hard. I've never seen you work this hard at home. And he goes, well, it's just different. I go, I, I paid you to work at home. He goes, yeah, but it's you. <laughs> like, that was the deal. He just didn't want to work for us. And but what I saw out of that, and I think this is an important lesson when you're a mom or a dad or whatever, you teach your kids a work ethic, you might not think they're getting it. Yeah. But I, and I can tell you, especially Jacob, we didn't think he was getting a work ethic. That kid has such a strong work ethic. And I think he got it, he learned it, he could do all that stuff. He might not like it, but he could haul a wheelbarrow all day long if if he had to. Where where is Rhett? Because I would that, I want to speak over him right now that that's going to happen. Because I can tell when he has to do it for me, he doesn't enjoy it. Yeah. But if he's got a project he's doing for somebody Absolutely. else, he enjoys it a lot more. Every kid's different, and I think like you were saying, hate uniformity. We got to teach them and 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 call out in them what what their passion is and that sort of thing. But you know, Trey, I mean, I would I would put him to work on stuff, but he always had an entrepreneurial spirit. He's our oldest, and at literally you know nine and ten years old i think he was that young he's sitting over there he can remind me uh he was actually became the duplicator of cds 
for our speaking stuff that we were doing, yeah. and even did some for wall builders and our radio programs early on. How old were you when you first started doing that? Eight, we even signed. It was a, a year and a half, eighteen months, maybe 19. eighteen months. Yeah, I, was, I could barely reach the CDs I and carry on. Yeah, signed a contract. Yeah, <laughs> but there. Yeah, I, I mean, all of that to say, the chores, the work, work ethic, definitely something that is not instilled much today. And as you hear employers talk about it all the time. I'll tell you uh, what. <clears throat> so when Hannah, you know, became a. A lightning rod for the tea party and i mean she was doing yep. what's a place in uh, nevada that they had that massive yeah that a massive rally searchlight or something yep. like searchlight that. that was the name of the yeah. place and um so so i i wrote the book uh raising righteous and rowdy girls and thomas nelson bought it and they gave me you know a pretty good you know advance and uh so they got their numbers back in 2008 and 2007 it wasn't you know too shiny and so they had 750 uh skews and they cut 450 of them and guess what got cut my book <laughs> so they said look you can keep the advance you know it's a kill fee and uh so now i've got a book and i have i have no publisher and so my poor uh agent he's schlepping my book around to a publishing house and publishing house this is this is before self-publishing or small imprints really got rolling because yeah. of Amazon and stuff. And <clears throat> he couldn't sell it. People were like, this guy's not a pediatrician. He said, he's a foul-talking, cigar-smoking redneck. It's like, we don't, we don't give two flibberty gibbets what he thinks about raising chickens, much less daughters, until Hannah cracked acorn. Mm. And then they're like, who the heck what did you do (laughs) what you put in her similac right so um so everybody's like so what's the first thing uh that you put to the kids and how many of you guys have known uh girls that are magna cum laude when it comes to book smarts but when it comes to street smarts they're magna cum loopy (laughs) i've got i've dated brilliant girls that didn't see me coming (laughs) <laughs> they were just totally dumb, just totally stupid when it came to street smart. So the first thing uh, in my book is teach your daughters how to sense bullshit. And so you get their bullshit detector completely honed. Everybody's on the make. Distrust pretty much everything you see in here and run everything through the sieve of your mind, reason, and you know the holy verities of that which is just and good. And so that was real important. Second is uh, make sure your daughters know how to fight, especially nowadays yeah. when you got some frickin' loser who's going to duct tape her and put her in a Trans Am. Not on my watch. So we had them training with the Gracies and the Valenti brothers in Miami. I think we started them at 9-11. And then the second thing was make sure that they're proficient in firearms. Because I, I want to know that, you know, I'm not on the present. I'm not God. Uh, her uncles and brothers and you know guys in the church they can't be with her or with them at all places and all times so I want to know that they're able to sense you know some kind of craps going down extricate themselves from the equation or adapt and overcome if they get thrown into some kind of you know uh, rugby scrum and then have the ability if need be to uh, you know disarm the perpetrator or break his arm or kill him if if they have to and they've got that and un- and understand that that 
Huh. And understand that that can be that often would be in those situations the moral option, right? Right, that they have the right to do that, the Absolutely. biblical right to do that. No, I've got a yeah. I've got a, a a mantra. It's like, call me kooky, that I believe that the good girl should live and the bad guy should die. There you go. And I lo- I want headlines to say um, to read different from, girl found in the creek, raped and stabbed 114 times like the little 13 year old cheerleader. Uh, was in Florida a couple months ago by some 14-year-old piece of crap. I wanted to read a uh, 14-year-old piece of crap who pulled out a frickin' buck knife, had it jammed up his ass by a 13-year-old <laughs> cheerleader. That's my dream. Yeah. I have a dream right now. I have a dream. <laughs> Everybody's got to have a dream, Doug. That's, That's right. Good. That's glad. right. So I, so I want to ask you guys, um, this is something that I think uh, you, Dad, did incredibly well. And Are you going to have to... Get- to edit this? <laughs> no, no, this is good. It's the you, No Bullcrap Podcast, man. Yeah, but it's 70% chick, so. <laughs> well, they, they decided <laughs> to be you know here, what? so. <laughs> That's on them. He'll put a trigger warning on it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. At some point, uh, Doug's going to say. Doug Giles is on this podcast. Yeah. So Fair warning. FYI. Uh, Before it's over, Doug's going to say, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully my audience would be able to. But um, Okay, so how do you guys make sure that you raise your kids to become your friend? And they're not pushed away by discipline or what they might perceive as a harsh structure of presenting truth and things. But how do you raise them to to desire to be close to you after they've entered adulthood, to, to come to you for advice, to, to maintain that relationship once you're past the raising them stage? Well, the way I mean, we were very conscious about that, my folks did it with me. And so I had a very strong relationship with my folks growing up, really solid. And after I became an adult, I think first is something that Rick was talking about earlier, which is when your kids are younger, you don't just say, because I said so. Right. So that just was never in our house. And, you know, on rare occasion, if one of the kids was really being a jerk, I might say, because I'm done with you and I said so. But, I pay the bills and you yeah, crap. One, yeah, there you is a crap, time to pull rank, right? right? I mean, there is. I pay bills and you crap your pants. Right. So. <laughs> about 95% of the time, and, and Jake and I just had a conversation about this recently. He said, I have very few recollections of you ever saying that. I'd say, this doesn't seem fair or, you know, I don't like this. And, and you'd say, well, why don't you tell me why it's not fair? And you'd have that conversation. And, and he said, you know, sometimes even you'd change your mind. And because I, you would let me reason my way through it with you and you'd see my perspective. And I can tell you, honestly, sometimes so I would you, just... So you're not Italian, right? No, definitely <laughs> not. Sometimes I would l- honestly let him change my mind because I wanted him to feel like he, he could have that influence and have that agency. So I think that's part of it is your kids, if they grow up believing that you actually listen to them, like what they think and what they say actually matters to you, that's the foundation for the friendship. And then for us, my folks did this and they coached me. When my kids turned 18, no more unsolicited advice. Like it was just like, hey, you're on your own. You can do what you want to do. I've prepared you the best that I could possibly prepare you. I'll give you all the advice and all the assistance you want if you ask me. If you don't ask me, go out there. I mean, the caveat is if I thought my kid was going to do something to kill themselves or something super dangerous, I would give them unsolicited advice. But other than that, we just backed off. And that creates a lot of room for friendship. It removes the pressure from the kids. It's immediate release. You know, by the time you're 18 years old, frankly, you don't really much give a damn what your parents think. And it happens earlier than that. And so we, we progressively backed off. I think this is, I would say I'm speaking generically, but I think for a lot of women, it's harder. I mean, my wife was definitely, she would tell you she was a helicopter mom. 
And as my son especially grew into his teenage years, that creates a lot of conflict. And there was a, there was a lot of questioning about like, why? Does it really matter if his room is a disaster? And it was a freaking disaster, right? You know, two feet deep in clothes and Lord knows what's underneath the clothes. And I just said, close the door. Like, does it, do, is this really the fight we want to have? He's a good kid. He's not doing drugs. He's not getting anybody pregnant. So why do we care? And it took her longer to get there than me. And we got, had some good advice from some good Christian friends who'd raised up six great kids. And they said, you've done everything you can do. It's time for you to just let go and close that bedroom door. And that was a, honestly a great metaphor for us. Just close that door. That part of life where you think you have a lot of influence over your kids, 16, 17 years old, you don't have any influence over them. So did you have to fumigate the... Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was bad. It was real bad. <laughs> you know what a 16-year-old boy's room smells like generally. So I can, I can remember my dad saying at, at 16, it was my, I was almost 17. If I haven't taught you right from wrong by now, it's too late. And, and he really let go at that point and said, it's time for you, you know, you're going to have to make those decisions. And, you know, I can remember saying that to you guys a lot. Um, you know, look, at this point, you know right from wrong. I'm probably, I, I'm not totally letting go at 18, right? I still, if I see something, it's pretty rare, I think. But I would, uh, you know, I still will be the one sometimes to open the door and say, hey, I think we need to talk about this this area right here, but that's rare. That's you know, the so thing. I'm not is quite let go as, as No, much but as I think that's but, the way. That's It's rare. Yeah. Occasionally you feel compelled. I got to say something here. Yeah, because if you if you have to, you know, extend that kind of advice, <clears throat> then you failed in the first part. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So, again, like with Hannah and Reage, I mean, they would they would go to other countries when they were teenagers. We didn't go with them. Uh, they would go surfing all up and down, you know, the Florida coast. Didn't go with them. Uh, we... When, when they were like, you know, preteen and they would go to uh, train at Gracie uh, Academy in Miami, <clears throat> uh, Mary Margaret would go, but then I was like, you need to stop. I'm not going to go. You're not going to go. Let's let them have their own little world of freaking fighters and uh, Pedro and uh, Guy Valente and Joaquin. Man, their, their values that they had so overlapped with ours. I mean, it wasn't like Christian uh, you know, overtly, but but the core principles were hierarchy, <laughs> discipline, responsibility. Yeah. You know, all that stuff was super. Uh, you know, it it just. Hey, buddy, who's that? That's Arlen. That's Trace. <laughs> Trey, that's you can my re- grandson. Trey, you can reproduce. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we we just you know, like Mark said, we just let them let them run free, you know, and, you know, going back to your question is like, I, I never, I don't care who it is, whether it's you guys or my daughters or whoever, I don't want people to have to like me and be around me, you know, and I want, you know, I wanted Hannah and Reed, you know, once you move from the whole, you know, uh, daddy drill sergeant type zone, I wanted to be their buddy, you know, that's yeah. to me, and we are. And man, you talk about a gift. That's a it is it is gift, the greatest, man. man. I'm telling you, no, you know, no greater joy than seeing them walk in the Lord. But second to that is definitely right. that they want to be around you. They want to hang, you know. And that was that was something Karen and I tried to be really purposeful about. Was we want our home to be the place they want to come back to. It's a place of joy. It's a place where they can be heard, you know. So I don't I don't know what you would attribute to that, Reagan. Like what. Why are you still, you know, hanging out with me oh and working boy. with me and doing that? You're it's 22. A setup. <laughs> it's a setup. No, well, first so of all, we're here. Paid. We're, so, yeah. right. so we're here as witnesses because Reagan's about to skin his yeah. dad, man. 
No. Well, by the I, way, Dad, <laughs> I hate you. Well, you know, while we're at <laughs> it, you've been uh, so evil. Oh, wait, I'll say one thing that I, yeah. my you tell dad me has a is... green leaded hose that he beats me with, and I want everybody on this no bull crap podcast to, to hear that now. It's yeah. that secret little red room over there in the bushes. <laughs> I can bet the non-Italians at the table might be a, a green uh, agreeable to this, but I think probably where I gained the most rapport with my kids was when I admitted I was wrong. Oh yeah, that, absolutely. Right? And you know, For a lot sure. of parents just deal. won't do that. They right. won't. They're like Fonzie. Right. You know? No, I can't say it. Was, this is, I was this is a sign. Yeah. No. I, I think that probably won more. At least you know, maybe not with you, Reagan. I don't know, but it seems like that yeah. with the with the. I want to back up a little bit though, because there's something that I think we missed because we don't we didn't do it. I don't think any of us did it. I see a lot of parents that want to be their kids' friends when their kids are when they're little. Yeah, when they're growing up. Yeah, it's like just call me by my first name. Yeah, and, and you know what they're going to do when they're three? They're going to spit in your face. Yeah. And when they're eight, they're going to punch you in the face. And then when you don't let them get their squeaky toy when they're 13, you're going to wake up at midnight thinking that there's a you know an entity by your bed, and it's your 13-year-old kid with a butcher knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've seen it, man. Yeah. I've seen it. Well, you see, and so I just think it's it's super unhealthy. It's this culture of you know everybody gets a trophy and everybody can do whatever they want. You can't restrain your kids at all because you know they're free spirits and you can't stifle their free spirits. I think that's so unhealthy. And honestly, it's very rare that I've seen kids grow up healthy who are raised that way. That and the relationship with the parents usually ends up fractured. There's no respect as adults. Either. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or the or the kid runs you know the whole flipping household. Yeah. Yep. You know at 35. You know, it's like, well, what, do you, what did they want? What it's like, I don't know. You get your own life, do your own thing. Well, so how did you guys actually balance that? Because from what I've heard, I would say y'all's parents' generation were more of the harsher generation with rules over relationships. They tried to constrain their kids from doing the bad stuff. And that produced in them, people in y'all's generation who raised their kids, the total opposite, where they let their kids get away with stuff and they got trophies for just participating. So how did y'all find the balance in between those two where I was raised super close to the way I raised my kids. I mean, there's some nuance. I think everybody's different. So I saw some things my parents did. I didn't want to do, but maybe 90% the way my parents raised me. And so I just, it was, it was the same. I mean, my parents were willing to talk it out with me. There was a respect. I could ask why it was not just because I said so. And so, and same thing when I turned 18, it was like, okay, dude, good luck. Come to us if you need. It's almost advice. like what we talk about in politics a lot. It is knowing the lines of jurisdiction, knowing the lines of authority, and and making that clear. And and again, that's a bad word today, right? If you say authority, they think authoritarian, and that's the. But it's not. It's saying, hey, here's my job. Here's your job, and you know, let's both do our part and getting respect out of that. But then again, not just saying because I said so and I have the authority, but instead using that authority wisely to sit down and reason and have those conversations. So treating you like an adult as early as possible, um, but yet you knew where the lines of authority were. And were you raised in a similar way? Yeah, definitely with my dad, for sure. Uh, My mom was a little bit more authoritarian. Mm -hmm. And so when I when I reached that 15, 16 year, our relationship, you know, hurt a lot because I wouldn't do what she said, you know, where my dad would sit me down and reason it out and talk it through and that kind of stuff. So I saw the difference, right, but between the two. And, I, and so I tried to do a lot more of what my mom had done in the early years and then more like what my dad did in the teen years. What about you? Were you raised like uh, you raised your kids? I was raised by wolves. <laughs> <laughs> so, so... Um, I was going to guess jackals, just, uh, you know, I don't know. There were dingoes <laughs> uh-huh. in the outback. 
No, so so my parents had me when they were 35. And so back then, that's old, mm-hmm. you know, and so I was a mistake, you know. I mean, for them, I was a mistake, but for God, I was purposeful. <laughs> <clears throat> So when it's they, good when, how he makes himself feel good. He has it stitched I'm, on a I'm pillow a at home. Boy, I, I, man. Yeah. So <laughs> the year they removed prayer out of the school, God said, let there be Doug. <laughs> 1962, man. The punishment. Yeah, so um, uh, my mother, uh, definitely uh, not engaged at all. She would sit in her lazy boy and watch Young and the Restless and smoke cigarettes. Nice. That's all she did. It's a perfect 1960s vision. <laughs> yeah, and uh, my dad, he just you know just worked his butt off, and we got home. You know, he'd go out in the backyard, drink three beers, eat dinner, and boom, straight to bed. And so I was left to be raised by my two brothers, who were full of the devil, and <laughs> and their satanic hordes that they ran with. Uh, I won't tell you uh, how I was introduced to sex. I won't tell you how I was introduced to what happens if you throw a chain up on telephone lines. <laughs> we'll save that for a later yes, podcast so. when your audience is about 90% guys. Yeah. <laughs> so my dad's sex talk with me is like, boy, you keep that in your pants. That was it. It's like, okay, anything else? You know, and uh, oh, it was just a, they were just vacuous. Now, after... After I got married and we had the kids and, and um, uh, my mom had a stroke, so it really kind of, she didn't, didn't kill her, it really just kind of freaked her out. It's like, I want to get to know people now and I want to, you know, who are you? <laughs> who are you? My name's Bobby Giles. It's like, I'm your son, Doug. Nice to meet you finally. <laughs> and, um, and so when my mom passed, my, my dad has all this free time now. So, you know, we're just doing a lot of living life together, you know, I wouldn't even know my my dad if it weren't for deer hunting because we would go every Thanksgiving and right before Christmas, we go uh, deer hunting for a week. And I'm telling you, man, those times in the camp, uh, cause all the rest of the time, I'm just a hellion getting in trouble, CD student, uh, drug dealing, cocaine, LSD, marijuana. And then we would go deer hunting and we had this, you know, a great connection, you know, chasing the beast and, you know, roasting the beast and celebrating, you know, this, this great, you know, circle of life and stuff. And so when all of a sudden, boom, you know, I've got these two little charges under my tutelage. My whole thing was that I'm not going to be a checked out mom and dad like my parents were. You know, I'm going to be there. I'm going to, and I wasn't helicoptering, but, you know, I'm not going to give them the inattention that I got because we weren't, we weren't poor. We weren't in a drug infested environment. But I'm telling you what, when you don't have mom and dad doing righteous superintending and you kick them off to your evil brothers that want to see if Mikey likes it and if Mikey will eat it or Dougie will do it, um, you get into a lot of trouble in a middle-class neighborhood in a podunk town like Lubbock, Texas. And so, What would you say is the number one thing that broke the generational curse? Because it sounds like you did. Oh, it's Christ. You know, absolutely. There's no telling what. I'd probably be dead. I mean, I was definitely on the highway to hell, that's for sure. But even in the parenting style, right? Instead of, like, you, you wanted to do the reckon, opposite almost. I just recognize what the, it. Yeah. It's like, you know what? And I don't, I mean, my dad, World War II generation, mom, same thing. And, uh, you know, if, if, you're not, if you're not planned and you think that, you know, we're done, you know, with number three and then number four comes along, 
and you don't really have some kind of parental vision you don't have some kind of thing let's change the world and you know our kids are part of this multi-generational thing that we're going to unleash on the planet to make everything better then you know you're just a tabula rasa for every power of darkness to come in and conscript you know your glide path and so when Hannah and Regis were born I knew that you know that they're born on purpose that these are not uh, just my kids with my last name these are God's kids and I've got the responsibility to make them, you know, hell on two skinny legs to the powers of darkness. And so we raised them on purpose, you know. And I wrote the book uh, Rules for Radical Christians, which was formerly titled Ruling in Babylon. And I take Daniel and his ten disciplines. And so they were in an overtly wicked environment. I mean, Babylon. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar made Joe Biden and Obama and... Uh, Stalin and Hitler, you know, look they're posers. <laughs> look like lazy, right. uninspired dictators and stuff. And so I knew that they're growing up in a in a whacked out environment and I knew that Daniel and his boys succeeded and I took those 10 disciplines and I mean we just basically raised our kids like wow. that, you know, which number one looked good, you know. Daniel was chosen because he looked good. So, you know, don't tattoo your neck or put 666 on your forehead. <laughs> Work out, keep you know, look sharp, solid, and smart, and you'll see you get into places where other people don't go because they're slobbing beastesses that don't use deodorant, you know, or do sit-ups ever. Which, and, by the way, that is a great book. They can get that on... Yeah, Amazon. It's uh, Rules for Radical Christians. Yep, yep. Highly recommend it, guys. I, I, I got to say, Doug, that hearing your story of your parents and your, your growing up makes last weekend's message just further off the charts amazing because every even even as you compared i forget who the other one was but jonathan edwards and then the guy yeah, that, max dukes yeah and, and i mean you jumped categories right because had you just repeated everything that had been done to you your descendants would have been in the in that category right but instead you said i want to have a legacy like jonathan edwards Right. And that's rare. Most of the time you had to have a dad that was like Jonathan Edwards to even think like that or want to do that. So that's why I say it's literally like breaking a generational curse, which is hope for everybody listening right now. Whichever category you're in is not the determining factor for you if you're willing to learn and to study and do all those things. It's like you know one of my mentors, Zig, always said, you are who you are and where you are because of what's gone under your head. And you can change who you are and where you are by changing what goes into your head. And you changed the inputs and you were purposeful about it. And so a lot of your listeners, you know, may come from some of those families and think, well, I didn't have that example. What do I do? Yeah. Everybody has an example, right? So I think I see so many young people today that have no idea they have agency. Like they are actually, they can do things with their own life. What, What you're saying is you made a choice, right? That's a conscious choice. And I mentor a young girl right now who grew up in a horrible family environment uh, literally, her mom is a follower of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. She was a mail-order bride from Malaysia. She lives here in America. She was taught Americans are evil, filthy, vile people. She should stay away from white people. She's now the president of the UC Berkeley College Republicans. She's a hardcore right-winger because she actually heard Ben Shapiro. Wow. And he said she had agency. And he taught her these words, Judeo-Christian values, which mm. she had never heard. And so... The idea just simply that she could make a choice. She grew up in this very abusive 
satanic household and she, the idea she could make choices that would change her life was completely novel to her. And so wherever you're at, whatever your glide path is, as you describe it, you can choose a different glide path. I, I would say if you really want to choose a different glide path, then you turn to the Lord and you say, what glide path, Lord? <laughs> I'm yours. But you don't have to be on the glide path your parents are on. I know a lot of young people listen to your podcast and they're not necessarily in great situations. It's okay. You're going to be okay. God's got you. And if you're willing to do the work and turn to God, it's, it's going to be okay. He has a plan. Yeah, and, and um, boy, I'm going to get some heat for this one. <clears throat> um, What's new? Yeah, so you can have also well-meaning religious parents that are complete dipsticks that yeah. you should not listen to at all. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, they turn them into little Pharisees. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's rule-keeping. It's self-righteousness. It's look at me, I'm Sandra D. My poop doesn't stink. Look at those evil people over there. Like Han and Regis, uh, another thing that we did in raising them. So uh, when they were, you know, we little uh, kiddos and stuff, we were starting our church in Miami. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, to start our church, uh, you know, we didn't do the, you know, typical type stuff, you know, try to get on TBN, uh, uh, go steal sheep from other churches. We are. Our um, motif was Luke 15, where the father threw a party for the prodigal son. And so we called them pagan parties. And so there could only be two Christian couples that were invited to the soiree. And everybody else that was there had to be a non-Christian. Wow. And you talk about, and that's, that's how they grew up. So they weren't like, you know, those are the evil people. You know, mm-hmm. we're better than them, right? Yeah, we're the goodies and they're the baddies. We didn't, we didn't have that kind of mindset. It's like, you know what? You see that uh, uh, homosexual couple over there? God loves them just as much as he loves you, 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 and you. And we're going to reach out to them. And you see these, these Venezuelan uh, <laughs> uh, bad dudes that are, that are doing some import and export of stuff that could <laughs> stuff. be a little illegal. Yeah. God loves them. He radically loves them. And, uh, you know, I'm a cracker, obviously. I'm whitey white bread from White Bill, you know, Texas. <clears throat> we would get uh, Han and Regis black baby dolls so that they would not grow up thinking any kind of racial, you know, thoughts or epitaphs or anything like that. And we, we had them constantly around non-saved, non-Christian people, and, and they watched us love on them so that we weren't just, you know, you know, it's just us four, no more. We're the frozen chosen. Yeah. And because uh, religious parents can turn their kids into full on ass, you know what, uh, by making them self-righteous and judgmental. And that's that's the antithesis of Christ. Like I was watching the the uh, the book of Matthew. Like, I don't really watch Christian films because they're usually horrible. Right. Look like they're done on a budget of like 400 bucks. You can see the rubber band that's holding the beard on, <laughs> you know, Reagan uh, with his phone can shoot a movie better than most of this yeah. chum that is forced on us through Netflix and Amazon. But I'm watching this Amaz- uh, the Amazon version of the uh, Gospel of Matthew. And I just wrote a book uh, last year called If Masculinity is Toxic called Jesus Radioactive. And it's, a, it's an exposition of the overt masculine traits of, of Christ through the book of Matthew. So... I've been drenched in Matthew for, you know, the last 
two years. And so now I'm watching it. And so you've got, you got the guy doing the voiceover and he's just doing verse by verse, which I really like because they're not injecting Hollywood crap and Jesus had a brother named Jesse and, you know, <laughs> there's no kind of weird, you know, type stuff, just straight scripture. And they've got great actors. And the, the thing that I like most about it is that Jesus doesn't look like a bearded woman. All of his disciples look like rough cussing fishermen. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'm digging this thing. And so my walk away, so I think we're in chapter 14 right now. Um, so my walk away here to four, and again, I, I knew it. I've read Matthew a gazillion times. I've read the Gospels back and forth over and over and over. But there's, there's three things that I came, uh, came away with. Number one, if you're self-righteous, if you, don't, if you think your crap doesn't stink, and you're the little hoity-toity religious, you know, goody two-shoes, and you say something stupid or do something stupid that's, uh, that has jack squat to do with a true relationship with God, Jesus is going to barbecue you in public, and he's going to have a Cheshire grin on his face while he destroys you with the tornadic use of his tongue. <laughs> and you see him over and over again just wait until the religion pops out of somebody and then he squashes it uh, the second thing that uh, came out cr clear as crystal and it was just a, an amazing depiction is how much he loves bad people just absolutely just looks for the broken looks for the sin laden looks for the people that are just so lost that are outcast and you know just like I said miscreant zombies and he's hanging out with them like in Matthew 9 it says he reclined at the table with them and recline at the table, I, I looked it up. And so they don't have proper tables like this, you know, back then. They were like down low on the floor, yeah. kind of, you know, Near right. East, Middle Eastern type uh, 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 dining furniture. And they had the big like beanbag chairs all around. So to recline means that he was almost horizontal. He's, he's doing Hugh Hefner type stuff at the Playboy Mansion. He's laying on the floor. You know, he's got his smoking jacket on, and he's completely comfortable around unsaved people. You show me Christians nowadays that are completely comfortable with outcasts, misfits, people that are just repugnant, you know, to church people. I guarantee you that you could probably fit all the, all the Christians that are entirely comfortable around wicked, unsaved people that are hell-bent for leather you could put them all behind your bar over there. That's how few there is. So you trained your kids like that? Oh, absolutely. I love that. That's fantastic. And, and they knew my testimony. They're, they, I mean, they're, and they still know that. See, that's, that, that, that answers the question I was going to ask you as back to Hannah at 19 doing what she did. I was, I was going to ask you, how did you respond when she said that? But more importantly, I wanted to ask you, what did you do leading up to 19 that would make her fearless in doing that and same with Reed when she went over to the Middle East and did all the stuff she did I mean fearless to be on their own among anybody well <clears throat> well uh you know but you answered the question I mean that's how well, they're, they're the they're the product of uh two risk takers you know Mary Margaret and I it's like you know what do you want to move to London it's like yeah I'll move to London because we were going to move to London because I'd, I'd been preaching a lot at Imperial College and stuff. And uh, I knew that, you know, I wasn't destined to stay in Lubbock, Texas. 
And so I'm traveling, going to Cape Town, going to London. It's like, man, maybe South Africa. You know, it's like, man, South Africa, they're really, our ministry really had it, you know, boardwalk and park place, you know, pretty much cornered and stuff. And so London was in my crosshairs. And then I went and preached at uh, a Presbyterian church in West Palm Beach. And dude, I'm from Lubbock, Texas where the only water we have there, Mark, is treated sewage. Oh, yeah. I'm and very like, familiar with Lubbock, yeah. <laughs> and the lake, is, the lake is like half an acre, and you're just skiing in the circle you know, all the time. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't know what water looked like. You know, I heard about water in oceans, and I heard that they're fabulous. And um, so the, the host of uh, my speaking gig at the church, he's a— uh, just retired. He's a pilot for American Airlines. And he goes, hey, you, you want to go eat some oysters? It's like, sure, I'm down for some oysters. What's an oyster? You know? <laughs> <laughs> that might have been a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, I had oysters in Lubbock one time, and that was a Ooh, mistake. And you, were like, <laughs> you, were, you were like Mark after smoking yeah. that. Yeah, here's what I learned. Uh, if you're not on the ocean, don't eat seafood. <laughs> nah, that's you, a you know. good rule. Yeah, so, so anyway, um, so I think we're going to go down to, you know, Boca or the Intercoastal, eat some oyster, drink a beer or two, and uh, we get in a, a single-engine Piper plane, and we fly down to Marathon Key. And so I'm sitting there flying just, you know, 500 feet over the ocean, and, man, my heart and flesh sang for joy to the living God. And Mary Mark's like, how's it going? It's like, pack your crap. We're moving to Miami. <laughs> and so we had just built a new house, house sold. I had a Porsche and I had two Volvos, boom, liquidated everything. So Hannah and Reach always saw that, you know, their mom and dad, if they remotely smelled that God was on something, they're going to freaking go for it, you know. And so when Hannah gets this idea, I, so it came about that she was, <clears throat> she was doing, um, she was jogging around the mall uh, there in Washington. She went a couple of uh, blocks into the hood, and she saw an Acorn housing location. She's like, hey, it's like, I know Acorn. They're the voter fraud. They collapsed the housing market in 2008 with subprime you know, mortgages for people who couldn't afford a Toyota Corolla, much less a condo in Los Olas. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then because, again, the street smart stuff to where we uh, – purposely honed her bullshit detector is that she saw the people going into acorn housing she goes these are prostitutes so this isn't acorn financial aid this is housing and so these these whores are going into the housing office and then hannah was like this is when you know the holy spirit really starts cooking this thing and hannah was like huh i wonder if i'd dress like a whore if i could get a home loan and they said, and then she had a you know group of, of buddies and stuff. And O'Keefe wasn't involved in this at this juncture. And um, they said, what about a, a home loan for a whorehouse? I'm like, yes, that's a great impossible. Idea. Right? <laughs> and then and then the, then they really upped the ante and they said, what about a home loan for a whorehouse for underage sex slaves from El Salvador? Wow. Poof. And then they got, you know, the whole sting op done. Now, wait, Doug, I got to put for her, his listeners that don't know anything about Acorn. Yeah, because they're young. This was President Obama's claim to fame. Claim to fame. It's Short he, resume. He, oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was the, that that whole thing you hear about him being a community organizer was all with Acorn. And they were funneling billions of federal dollars or about to. They were about to funnel billions of federal dollars when she bust, when she did this, this, this sting operation. Okay, Rick, so I got to ask you. So you have bold kids, too. 
I mean, your kids have a lot of guts. They go out and do whatever God calls them to do. I know you got two that are going away now about to leave right together. Yeah. Go off to camp and be gone for nine months. How, how old are they? Cameron's 20, Rhett's uh, 18. Okay, so they're bailing out and going to do their own thing. You, So you raise bold kids. Why? How? Like, why are your kids bold? I don't think well, it comes close to comparing that. to Doug's, but in terms of the level of boldness and what they did, I, I am proud that they caught the family vision, right, and the ministry, and they, and they love doing the things that we do and are fearless about fighting for the country for sure. Um, you know, but... but I actually, I, I, I'm sorry to keep coming back to you, Doug, but I want, I wanted to ask, like, when you said you prepared them to hone their bullshit meter, how? Like, what did you do to get them to rec- to to see truth and the lie and recognize which is which? Well, because I don't, because that's one again, I, did, I don't right. know that I taught well. And yeah, I so, so in hindsight, um, one of the things I, I tell parents is they're like, so how'd your daughters turn out the way they did? I go, you know what? And in retrospect. <laughs> I was such a full-on mess, and I still am, uh, and it's the way that God's conscripted, you know, my turbulent glide path, um, uh, that they had to assume the role of mother or, or, or be a check and balance to me, because, like, I'd be watching Hannity and Combs, and I'd be screaming at the television, he's full of blanket blanket, you know, and stuff like that, and, and just driving, you know, it's like pointing out stuff. Uh, getting in situations at uh, grocery stores where you got some leering creeper, you know, that's, uh, I, I make them aware of. Making you know, sure they had situational yeah, like, awareness. You, and, it's like, do you yeah. see what's going on here? Do you, are yeah. you watching this guy walk up to this girl? Never. If you're at a gas pump and you get some hood rat, you know, coming up to you, uh, get away from the car. Don't have the yeah, conversation yeah. and think yeah, I'm going to exactly. minister to this guy. <clears throat> right. right. I mean, if it's one thing if you're doing street ministry and you're on an outreach, but just and you got a just team with really, you. <laughs> you know, really, and we would watch movies all the time of uh, girls getting kidnapped or you know, Silence of the Lamb type stuff. You pointed stuff out every chance yeah, you had no, and so, made sure yeah, that they so, got it. Yeah. So they're they're absorbing yeah. you know all that stuff and. Um, that's good. That's so, good. So I sidetracked this, you. You had a question. Yeah, no, you're go, good. Reagan. I'm sorry. Well, I cut this you just off. kind of leads into my next question, which is um, a lot of what y'all are talking about has to do with presenting your kids with opportunities to be adventurous and to get out there and get into life, get into the mud and experience the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so uh, John Eldridge talks about in Wild at Heart, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm going to butcher it, but he says, every man needs a battle to fight and adventure to, to walk or run and then a, a girl to win. And so how do y'all, and this so, is, so, so Eldridge says that, you know, a guy needs a damsel to rescue a damsel yeah. to rescue, which yeah. I think is total bull crap <laughs> <laughs> so both. My daughters don't need some flipping white knight to yeah. rescue them. No, cause I, yeah. I don't believe in that. Like I believe in alpha male and I believe in alpha female, hmm. you know, they're not looking, it's like, Oh, Beauregard, you know, they're <laughs> clutching their pearls swoop in on your white horse and and so anyway so well we can get to that one actually next but the adventure one how how do y'all or how did y'all make sure that your kids had adventure in their lives that they they were pushed out into life to either make mistakes and figure things out um but just like adventure is where you learn how to safeguard against situations like that so just in terms of putting them out there and having an adventurous life, how did how did well, you do the, that? Well, the words might be different for me, you know, because 
Um, I think you're right. I taught them to be bold, but it was probably more purpose than adventure, right? Like that was the adventure that your life matters, that you're, you, when you, when you're purposeful about it and adventurous about it, you can touch lives. You can make a difference in people's lives. And so for us, it was a little unique because we were traveling the country when they were little and speaking. And so at six years old, I'd throw them up on stage and, you know, so they were all like giving presentations when they were, when they were little kids. And that's where the boldness I think came from was it got, you know, and they realized when you have all these people coming up afterwards saying, thank you so much. That really touched me. It's a reinforcer. Wow. God can use me to make a difference. Now that can turn into pride if you're not careful, but it also can say, Hey, I have a purpose. I'm God's using me to impact lives. I'm not wasting my life. So I think for us, it was more purpose would be the word even more so than adventure, but that's you used to call way. it what it was vacationing with the purpose was yeah. pretty much all of our, it, our yeah, travels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I don't know. What about you guys? You know, I think it's uh it is partially dependent on where you live and how you grow up. You, know, you talked about living in, in a gated community or whatever condo complex. My kids grew up in the country. So in the morning they just go outside and the adventure was there. You know, there's a Creek, there's a pond, there's fish, there's trees coming down, there's axes and bows and, and so they just go out and do that stuff. And, and so a lot of it was just un, unled. In other words, they went out and had their own adventure. They came in muddy and dirty. And I'd look out the window and they'd have some weird experiment going that a fish tank out there. They got some frogs out of the pond and they're feeding fish to the frogs. And so they're out there making their own adventure. And I, so there's something I think that is more six, difficult. Six acres can be a magical forest. Exactly. Right? And it's, yeah. so, so there's something that goes on when you can set kids loose in the wild that is harder in the city. I think it has to be more purpose-driven if you're in the city. And when you can, like where we're sitting right now on your porch, and you can just let your kids go, I mean, there's just there's a lifetime right. of adventure out there for little kids. They can climb the trees. Jake fell out of a tree and broke his arm. That's, you know, that's the adventure of it all, right? And we were never worried about that stuff. It's like, you know, you can hear him scream. <laughs> it's only six acres. <laughs> if they get hurt that bad, you know that scream when, when it's the hurt scream. Sometimes it's just the scraped knee and it's okay. But I think that Shake kind it off. Of, Come on with scars. That's it. <laughs> no, we would tell the kids that. It's like, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. You can go back out and play. It's Phones fine. are rubber. You're not <laughs> 60. Well, and they would come in and, you know, they're covered with dirt. That's a thing, too. Like, I've, all these parents freak out on their kids in the dirt. My kids would eat dirt, basically. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, they're out there digging in the dirt with spoons and shovels and just making mud pies and all, all this stuff. Honestly, there was a generation. I grew up like that in a neighborhood. Like, my parents just, we'd leave in the morning. I'd come home and eat some lunch, and I'd come back for dinner. Heck yeah. Streetlights come on. or go Yeah, when yeah streetlights come on, you come home. Yeah. Exactly. And so no nowadays, phones, no there's all these parents that are like, you know, you got to know where your kid is every second. You got the tracker on. You tell me exactly whose house you're at. And we have this perception. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a not Mayberry RFD anymore. Well, you know what? I'm going <laughs> to argue that a little bit. Okay, so if you look at well, it depends on where you're. If you look at crime statistics generally, there are actually less child abductions today than there were when you and I were kids, and because people are more aware, I think is part of the reason, and people have cell phones and all that stuff, so there's more observation going on. But as parents, we're taught to be more paranoid, and the reason is because every child abduction, your phone starts screaming at you. It's an amber alert. You see it on the news. You live in Texas. You know a kid was abducted in Florida, and so we didn't. When you and I were growing up. We didn't have that. Like we never knew if some kid was abducted a state over. You would never know that. And so we just didn't think about it. So our parents set us free. I think kids on a leash is a real bad thing. You don't get the adventure. You don't get the freedom. 
you don't get the injuries and, and shaking it off. I remember just wiping out on my bike so bad and being bleeding all over the place. I don't want to go home. All my friends are out riding the bike. So, you know, I, yeah, you're I was a my mush friends. if you have to go home. Right. Like, so I'm at my I, friend's I, close I hurt house. My elbow. Yeah, you got a band aid oh, in the house. Exactly. My friend run in, grab a Band-Aid, we'd wipe it off and we'd go on with the day. I don't want to go home to my mom and tell her I'm hurt. So nowadays it's like every little injury, you got to cover it with Bactine or whatever. Yeah, whatever, you know. It's just, that's not adventure. And kids kids learn a sense of paranoia and fear, I think. That's just where we get part of the snowflake syndrome, that everything's so scary and everybody has to be so protected. Man, life is risk. Yeah, and, and that's how you now end up with a generation of parents forcing their kids to wear masks. Yeah, exactly. Right. No kidding. COVID. Yeah. Child so, abuse. Can yeah, I ask literally. a question? I know yeah. this is your podcast. So I want to ask these guys, because this can be overdone, but you know, it's kind of like the old Jewish blessing of the father and speaking that over the kids. But I always thought it was important to instill a sense of you've been given much, you got a lot of responsibility, don't waste your life. Some would say that's dangerous because then, you know, you're you're putting stress on the kids or your your expectations are too high or whatever. So what's the balance there? All of our kids are, are doing some pretty awesome things. How did you balance that and, and speak purpose into your kids and give them a sense of don't waste your life? You know, don't be the kid playing video games when they're 25 in the basement for eight hours a day. I think um, it's different for every kid. You know, I got a son and a daughter. Lucy was much easier generally. You know, she was kind of a pleaser. She was generally on the right track. So it was just easier. She always had purpose. Like she was nine years old. She said she wanted to graduate high school at 16. What do you got to do with a kid like that, right? right? right. Not much. And on the other hand, Jacob was lazy and slovenly. I mean, we used to say he's the kid. That kid's never going to be able to take care of himself. There's like, how would he pay his bills? He couldn't clean his room. He's never going to be able to support himself. And that went on for a long time. And I put a lot of pressure on him. I mean, I, I remember some of it I regret, to be honest with you. I remember telling him, look, you know, he had a, went through a phase where he was just habitually lying about everything. I mean, like, like things that don't even matter. He was just a pathological liar. And I remember telling him, you're going to end up in prison. Like, that's the guys in prison. Or are you going to be president? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that back then. Uh, and so, but I remember, and it came to this point literally where, you know, he got asked to leave his high school, super smart kid, he got asked to leave his high school because he was cutting class. And, and then he ultimately graduated through online school and he was 18. And I remember telling him, okay, dude, here's the deal. Six months, you're out of here. Like whatever you got to do, if you want to join the military, awesome. If you want to go find a hole in the wall apartment because you're a waiter and you can afford a few bucks and go, go for it, whatever you got to do, but you're not here anymore. And so that was a moment for us of a lot of pressure, honestly. You're going to be out. We're, we're done with you. We've done everything we can do. Now you're on your own. And thank God, I mean, he, he decided, he said the wisest thing I've ever heard an 18-year-old say, literally to this day, he said, I'm, I lack personal discipline. And if I don't get it, it's going to ruin my life. And so I'm going to join the Marines. And I thought, that's nuts. I, I thought he was insane. My, my son bless his heart and you know he'll listen to this and so i know he's gonna hear he was soft this is a kid who didn't like to camp didn't like to hunt didn't like to fish didn't like to sweat didn't like to work hard he's like i'm gonna join the marines like you're out of your freaking mind dude <laughs> you're really smart go join the air force they'll feed you good food and <laughs> or the girl scouts yeah you'll be in air conditioned room all the time yeah. and he said no i need to do something really hard i need to prove that to myself and he went and joined the marines and when he went off to boot camp seek discomfort i was I was so worried that he was going to fail 
because he just wasn't cut for the Marines. There was no way. And he went in, and to his credit, he made it through boot camp. He, he it was a mental game to him. He was better than anybody else in the mental game. He succeeded. He did his four years in the Marine Corps. He ended up with a scholarship to George Mason Laws in his last year of law school. But part of it was this, like, at some point you go, like, you're out of here, right? I am done with you. I've done what I can do. It's a hard thing to do. You want to take care of him, but... You know, he needed to go and figure it out on his own. There was nothing else I could teach him at that point. Wow. Okay, so can I ask one rabbit trail question? Yeah. Rabbit hole. I know I always get that wrong. Rabbit trail, rabbit hole. So he went to George Mason Law, or yeah. is going. Is he yeah. done? He's in his third year right now. Okay, does he know the professor that sued to not have to get the vaccine? He does. He in fact, that professor immunity? is friends with him. Oh, I love it. I love and it. Jacob's really pissed off because they, they a, wouldn't do the policy university-wide. Well, no, so it, it's much worse than you know it. The, rabbit trail here just briefly he uh so he was did not want to get the vaccine but at some point he's like if they make it worth my while i will get the vaccine like i'm not just going to do it because they tell me to do it and so at some point they said look if you get the vaccine you don't have to wear masks and he's like i'm done wearing the mask i missed my second year of law school on campus i want to have the law school deal i'm going to get the vaccine so he goes and gets the vaccine they imposed a damn mask thing, mask thing on him. Back anyway, on people with that. Yeah. With and so he's pissed and he's working with that prof and he, he's trying to figure out, do they have a way to sue? Is no there any, kidden. is it fraudulent? Was that fraud? Did they induce yeah. them to do something, uh, yeah. you know, that they wouldn't have otherwise done if the mask promise wasn't well, there? Well, please tell him to tell that professor he's one of my heroes. Because I think that domino is huge for making the other dominoes fall. Yep. Because it made them recognize natural immunity is as good as or better. The studies say 13 times better. But anyway, sorry. I know that's not our podcast, but you said George Mason there immediately. I thought yeah. about that. Yeah, you're good. Where you want to go, bro? Um, okay, I got one last question, and then we can go wherever with it after that. If y'all had to sum up fatherhood and everything we've said in one word, what would you use? Heaven. Wow, one word. It's the best thing I've ever done. I was going to say best job in the world. I don't know how to or a phrase doesn't have to be one word, I guess. Most important job on the planet. Yeah. Mm. I got four words: provider, protector, hunter, hero. Mm. He's always the wordsmith. <laughs> that was good. Coming, I'm not coming on here with Doug yeah, anymore. That That's it. That was good. Amen. You know, I just heavy's the crown, man. This is super important for for folks who are listening to this, young people. There is nothing better than being a parent. Like just, and remember this well, is this is exactly how well the wave runner is pretty. It's cool. pretty good almost. But I mean, remember this is so. This is the model that we have, right? Is, I have to say, I'm the uh, I'm the only. No, your granddad too. So grandparent is actually better, even better, oh, man. I can't I'm telling wait, you. Man, it's, I can't. All right, wait. sorry. Go ahead. Right. Go ahead. Like, this is what we're made for. You just dissed all your offspring that are sitting around the table. <laughs> <laughs> they don't mind. Thanks, Dad. Can't wait to go to the assisted living house. <laughs> Hope you like. <laughs> I didn't say it sucked. I said it was even Hope better. Hope you like eating endure for the rest of your life. Hope you like the pudding. I'm going to go eat pudding with Joe I, Biden. Yeah. I, I was going to brag on you for a minute, but I don't know. I'm rethinking yeah. that. <laughs> so but you said we're made for it. Well, look, yeah, so ahead. this is the model, right? The father and the son, right? This is so we look to the father for what it means to be a father. And this is his love for us is the ultimate thing. And to the extent that we can emulate that with our children is as close as it gets. And so to be able to, to practice that and be in that relationship with somebody with your own flesh and blood is extraordinary. And yeah. you know, my only regret is I didn't have 20 more. Like yeah, I didn't I know mean, this. I had two and I, I wish I would have had a lot more, honestly. 
Yeah. Well, um, I, I do want to go back and address, Dad. You asked me about midway through this um, how I think you went about becoming my friend and getting to that point. And I will say probably... It was from a Michael W. Smith song. (laughs) 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 Friends of friends forever. Uh, It's the worst song ever. (laughs) I remember singing that in church in like 19... I don't know, like 88. I was like, I I knew that the church had been completely effeminized Mm -hmm. when you got grown-ass men holding hands, singing that song and looking at each other in the eye. Dude, I would rather watch Rosie O'Donnell river dance in Borat's thong to, to an extended cut of the Doors classic hit, Riders on the Storm. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God, I'm eating. <laughs> Where is that chocolate chip cookies delivered? You yeah, ruined I it. No, I can't get that image. Fresh chocolate chip cookies just mm. got delivered, so <laughs> we have reached uh, the peak experience. Yeah, yeah, we'll wrap it up here in a second, right, so we can, so we can enjoy these. This. No, you're good. You're good. So, and and just for the listeners as well, um, what to look for as as you're becoming a, a father or a mother, I would say the number one thing for me that made me want to seek you as a friend growing up was in my journey of finding truth in my own faith. It wasn't my parents' faith and what became mine, when I really fell in love with truth, with God, and then I saw how genuine you sought that as well, and mom and and our mission statement, what the family does, what Patriot Academy, when I saw everything that y'all were fighting for, and aside from you guys, I had realized how important that was for myself, that made me just all the more want to be a part of it and grateful that you guys raised me up in that way. And so you didn't, force religion on me. You didn't force me to think that America was the greatest nation in the history of the world. I had to just learn that for myself. And when I did, when I had those realizations to see how much that actually mattered to you as well, I didn't, I couldn't think of any better person to be alongside this journey of fighting for truth and fighting for what's right. So I I think that's a, I think that's a huge point. And it's something that, um, you know, Mary Margaret and I, uh, again, purposefully as goofy centers as much as you can, <clears throat> is that we wanted to have a lifestyle uh, that our kids wanted to emulate yeah. instead of run from. So we didn't want to be, you know, narrowly religious and, you know, and you know what fundamentalism stands for, right? No fun, mostly dumb and quite mental. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't, we didn't want to be those people. And so the adventure aspect and then the provocateur aspect and you know fighting for that which is holy just and good and reaching out to bad people and watching life change and watching nation change policy change and that's you know what kind of idiot would want to rebel against that right right you know because han and reed were like this is a hell of a life yeah Mm -hmm. you know it's like i'm not going to you know i'd rather be smoking dope and doing crystal meth you know it never even entered their head yeah you know, because yeah. so. when we talk about those 70 percent of kids that drop off of Christianity in the home, they're not seeing their parents walk out what they're trying to force on them with their rules. They don't see the genuineness behind a relationship with Christ and their parents. So they think, well, if my parents aren't walking that out, why should I? Right. So that that genuineness that I see in you, that I see in mom, that's what draws me to you guys and makes me want to be your friend, makes me want to continue to come to you guys for advice and 
nourish that relationship for the rest of my life. So as you guys on listening to this are becoming So parents, Rick is thinking right now, no, I'm not going to loan you any money. <laughs> <laughs> Good try, but it ain't happening. <laughs> no, but uh, just for you listeners, like as y'all are becoming parents, know that that was the key for me wanting to be a friend with my dad was I saw his genuineness behind what he believed and that it wasn't fake growing up, that he wasn't putting on some kind of facade to make himself look good or I think that's that I think that's so. another huge point because um, uh, Hannah and Regis both know that Daddy screws up. <laughs> right, right. Um, oh yeah, and, and you and also like, mentioned, and like you said, um, when when you do blow it, you tell your kids, you like, t- yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that was a botched dosey do. Yeah, yep. exactly, man. <laughs> and, yeah. so, <clears throat> and so the whole thing has always been, it's like I extend you grace, and when I do something jacked yep yep <laughs> then, then give it to me exactly because you know? the opposite is what a lot of the kids listening right now have experienced and especially you know we're all speakers and you know on the stage right and so a lot of times the pastor or the speaker or whoever is one thing on stage and a different thing at home and the kids see that all the time and, and they become very jaded about the things we're speaking on the stage now become lies instead of being something you want to be a part of, right? But I don't think any of that truly becomes real until those moments like you're talking about, because we screw up a lot, right? So, and if we're truthful about it yes. and humble about it. So there was a it <clears throat> there was kind of like a, a year, two-year time period where we're really building Clash Daily, and we're one of the top publishers in the United States, and that's not just me saying it. I mean, that's Facebook ranking. Like, we're up there with CNN. We're above CNN. We're uh, above Hannity. We're above O'Reilly, uh, Daily Caller. We're, you know, we're competing at the highest level of the game. And, you know, 10 million page views. Our Facebook page had 2 million followers. We had a reach of 10 to 20 million people. And so this, this, this drive hit me. And Mary Margaret was doing social media along with, you know, another group of about eight people. She was administrating our pages and, and, uh, we just we just got in a bad way just through competition and making money and stuff and 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 I would I'd be yelling at her she'd be yelling at me and and our kids sometimes would hear all that stuff and then finally God just like throat punched me and uh, I I went up to <clears throat> Regis heard it more than than Hannah because Hannah's already married and out and stuff and um, I told Regis like you know what that's satanic what I'm doing is wrong wow. and uh, I apologize. And I could have said, hey, you don't know what, you know, is on yeah. me right now. You heavy, don't know what I'm dealing heavy with. Heavy is and, the yeah. crown, you yeah. know, and all yeah. that heavy other. Heavy is the crown. <laughs> no, it's like, that's so I'm, a, I'm a freaking Christian, and yeah. I'm in the flesh. I am totally in the flesh. There's nothing godly about anything that I'm doing. And Regis, I want you to know that I suck, and I apologize, and I still run hot. But to the best of my ability... With the Holy Spirit, you know, yeah. with the good chokehold on me, <laughs> uh, keeps me modulated. Mm-hmm. But I, I remember the day that it happened, and I remember nearly not doing it. Mm-hmm. And I saw her look at me like, you're a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, wow. I am. Wow. Can you imagine if that didn't happen and you didn't? do that mm-hmm. like she wouldn't want anything she'd probably be gone right mm-hmm. doing something well, then we you know we we're yeah. telling a story earlier about somebody i know mm-hmm. who basically sacrificed family for the business yeah that's that's what mm-hmm. comes of that and then 
then no, it's not worth it. There's no way that's worth it. You know, my family, we, we talk about that. We call it brand integrity. If you, if you do any kind of marketing study, study marketing, the ultimate brand with brand integrity, I think is Apple. I mean, you know, whether you like them politically or not, Steve Jobs said that their brand was all about, it just works. That's it. You pick up an iPhone, it's easy. It makes sense. It just works. All their devices are like that. They're kind of common sense, user-friendly. During his lifetime, he wouldn't launch Apple TV. That got launched after he died because it, it's kind of a pain in the ass to use. Like, it's not simple. It's not easy. Constantly having to put in your password. It's a pain in the ass, and he wouldn't do it. And so that's brand integrity. You look at a brand and you say, what do we say we are? And then what are we actually? Like the word integrity means you're integral, right? So everything fits together. You, you are what you look like. No human being is entirely integral because we present to the world what we want the world to see. And right. then we do our best to be close to that. The closer you are, the more brand integrity you have as a human being. And I think that's what you're talking about, Rick. And, and this is, it's kind of unique to, to the guys sitting here, including you, Reagan. We're, we all have an opportunity to be on stage. And so we're on stage, you're, you're a podcasting guy, you got a big audience, people hear what you are as a podcaster. And then the question is, are you really? Like, are you really that thing that you're presenting? And if you're not, you don't have brand integrity. And that's really bad, in my opinion. When human beings lack brand integrity, we see this in politicians all the time. Right. And they say one thing and they do another. That's a total lack of integrity, brand integrity in the marketing sense. So I always think of it like, I am doing everything I can to be as close to who I am. It's one of the things I love about you, Doug. You're like, I'm a friggin' mess. So this is what I am, right? I'm a sinner. Uh, I know you you and I, Rick, when we're on the air together, we're like, we screw up. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> right. We're a couple of yahoos right. behind microphones and we don't know what we're doing. And I, I see people who are do what we do professionally. And if it's not perfect, they freak out. Yeah. Because they got an image yeah. and there's this shell around them. And that to me lacks brand integrity. And I would say as a human being, this is, goes back to raising kids, raise them to have brand integrity. Raise them to be who they are. Face the world with who you actually are, not some fake shell. And, and I think that ties into, you know, we're saying fatherhood's the most important thing. You know, is it? Do we really believe that and do we live our lives in that way? And, and I think it's easy for guys like us in this arena to say, oh, the work is more important. And I think your kids find out whether they're more important behind the scenes or in that moment when, when things are going bad, are they totally put off? you know, and, and put on the shelf while we deal with whatever these big things are to save the world. And, you know, again, g going back to Zig, I mean, that was one thing he was big on was that his kids always knew no matter how big the stage, no matter how important the meeting, if they needed him, he was there and he would walk away from whatever that was to do whatever ministry with his own kids needed to, needed to take place. And I can remember the turning point for me, because I used to be a real jerk and it was all about I wanted my name in lights and I wanted to be somebody instead of do something in my younger days. And, and you know, the real turning point was I you're, was... You're 50. You're still young yeah. to me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still, yeah, you're the young I guy appreciate that. I appreciate that. I feel young. That's great. You yeah. still got pimples. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I mean, I said it from the stage, and I think that's when it really sunk in was, you know, it's not as important what's happening in the White House or the State House as what's happening in your house. And, and I started thinking about that, and I started thinking the legacy that really matters is my kids more so than anything else I'm going to do. And so, I, and I was probably 25 when, when that happened. And, and I, I said, I don't want to be that guy that has a big ministry and his kids, you know, all off to, you know, the crazy. Well, let's, stuff. let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, Cause you'll get, you'll get people that are drilling down hard on Romans chapter one. 
So if, if, um, if you suppress the knowledge of God, and even though he's made himself evident through creation, and you've got this, you've, you've got this common knowledge that he exists, and you choose to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, yeah. then God turns you over to a reprobate mind. And then you've got homosexuality, and you've got adultery, you've got murder, you've got this whole list of vices that, that God just says, you know, have it your way, mm-hmm. and he just releases you, you know, to the powers of darkness. And you get a lot of Christians who take, you know, the, the verbum day seriously. They're like, yeah, you know, what, you know, this is a sin, and, and LGBTQ stuff is a sin. Well, Paul says in Timothy and Titus that if, if you're a pastor— that your kids have to follow Christ with all fear and gravity. So it's not like, yeah, I'm a Christian, whatever, you know, punch the ticket. No, they're serious believers. And that if they're not that, then guess what? You don't get to lead the church. You don't get to stand up there like, because you can't run your flipping house. You know, it's just like that <clears throat> that song says, um, uh, he can't even run his own life. I'll be damned if he runs mine. Yeah. And I told Han and Reach, um, going back to something we talked about earlier, uh, they weren't really going through a rebellious stage, but we had we had this pastor friend, and his kids were just screwing everything that moves. And he's up there, you know, singing and dancing and talking and wowing the crowds, and his kids loathe him, you know, and they're completely wanton and stuff. And I told... A, a, brought the kids in and uh, they're asking me about it. It's like, yeah, don't you think that's bullshit? And it's like, of course it is. You know, like, here's, here's my promise to you. If, if you guys go rogue, I quit because I failed. I'm not going to stand on that stage and, you know, pontificate about, you know, how to live a life if I've fundamentally failed at, at my children and with my kids. So it's a weird conversation. No, I hadn't even thought about that. Paul made it the priority. He's basically saying right, what's happening you can't. in your house is more important right. than what's happening. In no, but again, you look at you look at uh, pastors. They'll go back to Romans one. It's like that's the word of God. You know, that's how we should. You know, that's our standard. So's First Timothy three. So's Titus one. That's the standard for elders. And now elders, like if you're rich, you're an elder. You know, if you got power, you're an elder. It's like no, if you've got this in control, then you're an elder. If you can teach. And if you're not given to anger, like I have problems with, and um, uh, patience, I have problems with. Archie Bunker said, "Patience is a virgin." <laughs> We're not allowed to quote Archie Bunker anymore. Don't you know that? Don't worry, none of these listeners have any idea who Archie Bunker. Is. No, so, so, so Reagan's so, wondering. He's down there going, "Who's this Archie?" To Bunker? me, man, that is something. It's like, well, we got to have grace. It's and like, I bet no. your mom was not just watching All in the Family. She was, I mean, uh, all days of our lives. Days of our lives. Yeah. She's watching oh, All in the yeah. Family every evening. And, too. Yeah, and Sanford and Son and yeah. the Jefferson. Oh, now we're dating ourselves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Doug. I got Television? You. What's no, that? Did you? <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, I'd say most churches, they don't take that seriously. Yeah. They don't take being the husband of one wife seriously. And it doesn't mean you can't be divorced. It means that you're solely devoted, you know, to, but then you get into the divorce aspect of stuff. I mean, we, we pick and choose through the Word of God like it's a flipping buffet. You know, it's like I'll take some of this, take some of that. I don't want that because that's what I'm doing. 
and uh, you know, <laughs> so they get a they get a um, they don't get an amplified Bible, they get an amputated Bible, <laughs> and they just get an exacto knife and just you know cut out the stuff that they don't like. But I'm telling you, the kids uh, fearing the Lord with all gravity. I mean, you look at that in the amplified; it gets even worse. And and God, you know, put a premium on making certain that the guy that's up there leading the charge for his eternal purpose, which is the church, that he has his little church full of faith, on fire for God, uh, basically uh, by his example. And therefore he's, you know, an example to the congregation. I think it's huge. I think it's completely underrated, you know. What's issue doesn't, one? Doesn't really look good on Instagram, but you know, that's, that's reality. Let's issue one warning with the flip side of this, because we do tend to go to extremes, and that's we, we also, even though uh, I think we would all three say our kids are the most important thing, and we would we would trade any success in the things we're doing if it meant that our you know we were going to lose our kids. But at the same time, sometimes the kids become it's a kid centric house and kid centric family. Yeah, that, and it's that all never about happened. The kid, what to do? That never and happened in my house. That you right. don't want to go down that road either. Right? No, like when that's not love. That's not making you know. Right. Yeah, it's like, yeah, they're not ever gonna. They should never be in the driver's seat. Yeah. You know, and um, um, real quick, talk to anybody listening to this that does not have a good father figure to learn these things from. How do they find that? in other men where, where, where do they go to look for that i mean first always everything the whole everything's in the bible i mean so go to scripture first look at the father first uh i mean that's that's the ultimate role model uh that's what i would say number two is seek it out and there are especially if you go into churches there are godly men that will mentor uh, in youth programs you see a lot of it I would say seek it out. I mean, I, I spent most of my life seeking mentors and failing, to be honest with you. So it's not easy. I'm not, I'm not saying you're going to look at some guy and say, I really admire you, and that guy's going to go be your mentor. That might not happen. You, people have their own lives and their own things to do. But I would say seek it. I think it's really important that you seek out a strong male figure in your life that you respect and admire and can learn from. And I can tell you, as somebody who does mentoring, it's incredibly satisfying. What I'll tell you is if you seek out a mentor, this is something I see happen all the time. And it's, it used to drive me crazy. Now I just expect it. Somebody will come to me and, you know, I, I, you know I'm looking for a mentor. I'd be interested in having you mentor me. And I, absolutely. It's pretty rare I'll turn somebody down who says that. Yeah, when they tell me that, it's like, go mow my yard. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm going to tell them to do some, I'm going to tell them to do some stuff. Seriously. Wax on, wax off, right? I right. Mean, you got to be Mr. Miyagi. In well, ways. here's the deal. I'm going to tell them to do some stuff and almost none of them will. I had these two guys, uh, Mark, when I was uh, pastoring in Miami, I mean, just Rico Suave types, right. I mean, just good looking kids, you know, walk in, they're like six foot two and um, uh, mirror sunglasses, all the crap. I knew that they're full of crap. And they're like, Pastor Doug, we want you to mentor us. And I'm like, I'm flattered. I am so flattered. They're like, so, so what's the first lesson? I go lead, each of you guys lead one person to Christ in the next year get them discipled, plug them into the church here. And then after 12 months of seeing you reproduce, then I'll talk to you. They never showed back up at the church again. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Go pound sand. And that's my experience too, is that 
most of them won't do anything. What they mean by that they want you as a mentor is they want you to do stuff for them. <laughs> yeah, waste they, their time. They want waste your they time. want connections from you or whatever it is. And so if you're gonna if you're gonna seek a mentor, then you do what your mentor tells you to do. And so a lot of times I'll just say, hey, look, you know, the place I would start is this is some scripture that you should read or this is a book that you should read. And when you're done reading that book, come back to me and we'll talk about it. And I would say nine times out of 10, they don't read the book and they don't come back to me. Wow. And, you know, and, and for, for young people that, you know, they, they don't have that dad, uh, you know, just underscored what Mark said. Um, you have a father that's in heaven that loves you more than anything put together by spit and mud ever could. And so you have 24 uh, hours, seven day a week, 365 day access to him. Yeah. And I think, um, I think, you know, pushing people that don't have those kind of role models or they say they can't, you're always going to be let down by a mentor. You're always going to be let down by a pastor. Uh, you're always going to be let down by a father figure. Yeah. It's like, Young people that are listening to this right now, you're never going to be let by let down by God, mm-hmm. and you 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 know you've got to close in with Him, and like Oz Guinness said in his book The Call, you've got to live before the audience of one, mm-hmm. and um, and that's difficult. I mean, seeking God, pursuing God, having your mind renewed, you know, and and understanding all those things, that is what truly makes a whole person, because mm-hmm. you know. I'm incomplete. I can give you some advice. I can get you down the road on you know certain subjects and areas of life. But man, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to dance with the Lord. You know, He's the one who brought you to the dance. So make sure He's the first person you go to. I think everything y'all just said. Let's just make sure that all the listeners know that applies to those that do have a good father figure, right? And yeah. and to say because even with a a good father figure, if you know the heavenly Father and you're seeking His Word and you're studying that truth, you need to measure that what your good father figure is saying. Cause like you said, we can be wrong too and be, be corrected by that. And also seeking out that additional membership. You know, you, you talked about, you know, Rhett and Cameron are headed off to this one year program. Part of the reason we're excited about that and encourage that is because we know the mentors that are there and the men and women of God that are there that will breathe into them in a way that I can't or that Kara can't. Right. And so even to the ones that are listening that do have good father figures still seek out those other mentors and, get what I used to call my wise old man group and, 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 you know, have those people in your life that are breathing into you, not, That's just, not just one person. Patriot even. Academy <clears throat> is kind of the epitome of that, what you do. Cause when I meet the kids who come through Patriot Academy and they, some of them come intern for us, they've had multiple mentors, right? Like they've come through the Academy. They've met mentors there. They're seeking other mentors. These kids get it that they go out and they seek people who will pour into them and the level of maturity and wisdom that you see in 16, 17, 20-year-old kids that have come through Patriot Academy is really extraordinary. And it's the academy itself, but again, it's, it's you're connecting them with a whole bunch of other people, some their age, some older, that are also pouring into them. And they're open vessels. They're, they're open for it. They understand humility. They understand that they don't know even what they don't know. And so they're open to listening. I think that those opportunities are everywhere if you seek them. Yeah, and there's a lot of dead mentors that are great too. You know, study uh, great men and women in history, yeah. in scripture, post biblical history. Uh, a lot of my friends have been dead for 500 years. You yeah. know, yeah. So it's it's there. Uh, it's there's nothing new under the sun. And if if you want to, uh, 
you know, grow up to be a solid Christian that puts a big scar on Satan's haggard backside, there is enough people uh, out there to help you along. And there's a lot of, of our great forebearers and people who've freaking cut a trail. You just gotta, you gotta mine the gold. You know, it's like Proverbs said that there's lady wisdom is calling out to the stupid, yeah. come in here. Yeah. And then uh, the, the prostitute, mm-hmm. she's also calling out. Yep. So who are you gonna listen to? Yeah. You gonna listen to the stupid world or are you gonna listen to divine wisdom? Because it's out there in flesh and blood, in mentors, pastors, fathers, and it's it's out there in the writings of these dead sages uh, that have you know changed the planet. And so it's up to the person to uh, you know seek that kind of stuff because wisdom is screaming to the stupid, to the naive, you know, come this way, and so is stupidity. Yeah, a lot of people look at that and they, they think, you know, how do I do that? Well, it's really just intentionality. Just make the decision to do that and seek out wisdom intentionally and you'll find it. You know, Scripture makes that clear. Reading is a really big deal, too. I think a lot of yeah. young people today... I was the, thinking that while you said so the, the lost art right. of reading. So the attention spans are short. And I find mine's even shorter. Like, I've been reading my whole life. I was that's, a literature that's why major. My, that's why my books are, are this <laughs> I know. Big, you got a book with no right? words in it. I'm going to have you plug that. Yeah. I read it twice in one sitting. <laughs> so, you know, we, we tend to have shorter and shorter attention spans. We don't even watch full TV shows, right? We sit in front of our little devices. We flip from screen to screen. We watch something for 10 seconds, 20, 30 seconds. I mean, you know, you, you look at the impressions on your web pages, right? If you can keep somebody for 30 seconds, that's amazing. Three minutes, absolutely incredible. Sitting down and reading a book is a lost art. And so the way I tell people to do that is set yourself a target. And my goal is at least one book a week. I mean, it's just it's just what I do. And my fear in reading one book a week is hilarious. I don't have enough time to read all the great books there are in one book a week. I mean, that's not that many. That's 52 books a year. It's well, not ta- a lot of books. If we're talking, you know, to the young whippersnappers and, and they want to be, you know, tip of the spear leader type material instead of, you know, carnage to whatever clown is in the church or in, in government, then they have to read. Yeah. Uh, Winky Pratney uh, had this maxim that I'll never forget. He said, readers are leaders, weeders, breeders, and feeders. So if you want to, if you want to lead, you got to read. And um, like Daniel and his boys in Babylon, uh, it says they were endowed with understanding. They understood where they hailed from with the, you know, the biblical worldview. They understood uh, Babylon's worldview, and um, it said also that they uh, learned the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And then, then uh, Daniel writes in verse ten. Not only did they, um, not only were they endowed with knowledge and understanding, not only did they understand the literature and the language of the Chaldeans, but Nebuchadnezzar chose them because they were ten times better in all those disciplines than than the the rubes in Babylon. So, so there's there's no way that you can uh, remain stupid and dull and uh, ignorant of these grand topics and expect to lead anything, you know, and that's just the durigur. Yeah. And young people, if, if you don't like reading and you got the attention span of a ferret on a double espresso, then, and if you're not going to, you know, study apologetics, if you're not gonna to go to the Patriot Academy, if you're not going to understand the biblical worldview, then do us all a favor, do yourself a favor 
and learn Mandarin because it'll help you get through the internment mm. camp that the Chinese mm. Communist Party <laughs> is about to strap on your head. Yes. That's right. That's right. Uh, I love it. That's uh, you know, and and even even being willing, like you said, to read consistently and absorb as much of the greats as you can. Uh, when Ben Shapiro spoke at Patriot Academy, that was his advice to the students. He said, "Read all of the books." And by that, I mean all of the books. And he didn't, I mean, he's like, you've got, and he had read 10,000 mm-hmm. by the time he's, you know, like 30 years old. And so he, most of us probably aren't going to be able to pull that off. However, we can definitely do one yeah, book a week. Sproul, or one Sproul book. said, uh, learn as much about as many things as possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Um, I want to make sure they, the listeners can find you guys and what y'all are doing. So just real quick, plug your websites, your ministries, um, what you guys are doing, where they can catch y'all. Yeah, my my uh, my friendly Mr. Rogers neighborhood is uh, Doug Giles. That's G I L E S dot org, and um, you can see my artwork there. Uh, you can get the uh, Clash Radio podcast. I also do a Warriors and Wildmen podcast. That like yours, it was it was conscripted for the dudes and dudettes come in there in mass also, because what I found Reagan is that uh, women who are worth their salt. Uh, don't want to now they might want to go shopping or go to Starbucks with a tinker pot but they don't want to they don't want to breed with somebody who's not a post-apocalyptic warrior (laughs) so you can find all my goodies at uh, dougchilds.org and that'll lead you to our cigar and sermon events that we have uh, every Saturday Mm -hmm. in Wimberley Texas thank you for having me Reagan how about the book oh my new book uh, it's titled The Art of Joe and it has Joe Biden on the cover in his gi, and he's throwing punches to the right, and he's looking sharply back to the left. Uh, he's a little confused. It's, me. <laughs> he's constant confusion. And uh, the subtitle is uh, Political Brilliance of President Biden, and it's a short book. It's 68 pages, and it's 95% empty, just like Biden's head. Mm-hmm. And so, so my publisher and I came up with the idea. It's great for a coffee table book, especially if you have snowflakes and tinker pots, Bernie bros. You just don't hand it to them directly. Just kind of put it on the coffee table. And when they're shuffling in, uh, looking for their unemployment check, uh, they, might, they might pick the book up and see that they got sold a big bag of crap. And uh, yeah, those 81 million people that supposedly voted for Joe are definitely silent. And we put this out there to, uh, I don't know, kind of poke them a little bit. Trigger them. Yeah. That's going to be one of my books this week. For so so, <laughs> so uh, the epilogue is Notable Quotable Joe. And uh, thanks to the speed at which you can create a book and get it out there, uh, we have his uh, quotes on uh, Afghanistan from July 8th and then uh, August 18th no and what actually happened mm. there wow. in Afghanistan. So mm. it's, if, you're a, if you're a Trump swag uh, MAGA person, you've got to have this book in your collection because it's just funny crap. And I think, I think um, Ted Nugent said that we should take my book, Pussification, the Effeminization of the American Male, and fly over uh, universities and just dump thousands. <laughs> I think we ought to do I want to be in the plane and <laughs> yeah. go to the helicopter. Ted will right. be in the plane yeah. playing the Star Spangled Banner. Uh, I want to be there yeah. for sure. I think we ought to do the same thing with the Art of Joe, but you know, concentrate on inside the Beltway and uh, those who are in the 
Capitol in the White House. And they can get that at DougGiles.org? Yeah, and uh, all my stuff's on Amazon, too. I've got uh, 17 books now, and I'm, we're about to release uh, Psalms of War, uh, Prayers That Literally Kick Ass, and I spotlight 28 different imprecatory psalms in which David prayed maledictions on God's implacable, impenitent enemies. And nobody talks about those prayers. And there they are, bigger than Dallas. So that's coming out uh, October 1st. I I needed your book 20 years ago. I was headed to a debate at, at Baylor. With a, with a professor there over you know faith and all the you know separation of church and state and that kind of stuff and and one of my staff is we're on our way and he's he's reading you know love your enemies and trying to prepare me for the debate with that and I said would you please flip back over to the Old Testament and give me some of that mm-hmm. you know burn burn the enemies you know entire plantation kind of thing anyway um, those well are- I mean Jesus in in Matthew twenty three uh, <clears throat> he launched uh, uh, I think eight different imprecations against uh, first century Judaism that had completely you know refused his ministry and his messiahship mm-hmm. so when people say well David did that because he was a pissed off warrior poet it's like so so was Jesus yeah. so was Paul he said to Alexander the coppersmith uh, who did him much harm may God repay him mm-hmm. and yeah there, there is times for personal slight gospel type persecution or injury uh, we pray for you know people but if you've got rogue governments that are freaking liquidating the masses turning us into little brown shirted jackboot people that are not uh, they're not leading in a righteous manner then we the Christians who are supposed to inherit the land we should pray that they either get converted or removed in any kind of form or fashion either through a democratic uh, voting process or like bugs eating Herod, you know, in, in Acts chapter 16. So they're there and those imprecations, because uh, a lot of people, again, they think that this is not biblical. And Jesus said of David in his Psalms and the Psalm that he was referring to, Psalm 2, and it's an imprecation. He said, David spoke by the Holy Spirit. So so what you're saying is that all those people that got upset with me when I was praying for Ruth Bader Ginsburg's days to be few and another to rise up and take her place is actually biblical since that's in the Psalms. Psalm but, 109 verse what? 6, 8, something like I that? I can't remember, but it is 109. <laughs> yeah. So. so we got, so that book is a compendium. So if you've got uh, rogue leaders, if you've got uh, people that are just making your life a living hell, first of all, it's principally against demon forces. So we're not in a battle against flesh and blood. However, uh, demons work through flesh and blood. And those who are impenitent and implacable, they become collateral damage in a spiritual warfare. And those who can be saved, like Paul, who said that he did what he did in ignorance, then uh, the judgment that hits him equates his conversion. And I don't want anybody to go to hell I would rather see, you know, some of these people that are just ardent enemies of the cross and and uh, everything that's holy, just, and good get converted and turn into some radical Mother Teresa that's doing good. But we got to launch them to see what happens. You've got to launch the prayers in order to see what happens. So anyway, good stuff. Good stuff. Amen. Mark. 
Yeah, so you can find me at markmeckler.com. That's kind of the more intimate stuff. Uh, that's a, a page where you can see what's going on if you want to participate. It's a subscriber page. And I have a bunch of content that's subscriber only. And then uh, the bigger project is conventionofstates.com. You can go there. You can get involved because we're in a fight for the heart and soul of the nation. There's 5 million people engaged in Convention of States right now. It's the largest grassroots army in the nation. It's not just calling a convention of states. We're engaged in elections. Uh, we're engaged in school reform, CRT. You can check out crtcentral.com, a new website we just launched, Coalition to Fight Back Against State-Sponsored Racism. Um, bottom line, just get involved. So it's not about me. Just get involved with somebody, Doug, Rick, you, anybody. you got you got to be in the fight. I mean, you are being called to the fight right now. If you're listening to this podcast, you are being called to the fight. And there is a war going on. It's not a metaphorical war. This is not hyperbole. There's a war going on. And we're going to win or we're going to lose. Uh, and I don't know what it is. God knows. I do know that you have a role to play. And your role is to get out there, put on the full armor of God and fight. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. For such a time as this. Yeah, Dad, man, what about um, Battle Cry? Yeah, every Sunday night on Facebook, uh, at Convention of States, Facebook Convention of States, uh, I do a Battle Cry. It's basically just my read on the news for the week. Uh, for as long as they'll let me keep doing it. It's on YouTube also. We already yeah, got I'm, I'm wondering what you're doing wrong, man. Yeah, I know. We <laughs> got, got a strike already on YouTube. I got uh, banned. It'll be three go. years, uh, October oh, 11th. Oh, you're an early adopter. I like that. Yeah. No, and everybody's like, wow, that's so sad for you. And it's like, you're next. Yeah, you're yeah next. we're moving over to Rumble. So you can find us on Rumble as well at Convention Estates. Uh, and then uh, the last thing is Rick and I, every Monday night, do biblical citizenship. If you want to know what it means to be a biblical citizen in the modern world, how you live biblical principles in the political world, there's no other way to be engaged in politics. If, if you do politics without biblical principles, then you're evil. It's that simple. Those things are meant to go together. So Rick and I do that every Monday night. You can join that class. Well, I, yeah, I talk about that all the time. But, Dad, where can they go to get a, be a part of one of those classes? Biblicalcitizens.com. And it's free, so sign up and join us. We just started a new one, uh, but you can join in the middle of the class. You can hit second, third week. You can get the recordings and catch up if you want, and it's great fellowship. I mean, it's fun. You get, you're get you on there with thousands of people from across the country. You realize you're not alone. Um, they can also – are you going to do another class? Or have, you, have you thought about yeah, it? Yeah, this fall, eventually. Yeah, so, yep. yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of people hosting them. If, if that night doesn't work for you, you can get into another class. But Mark's right. I mean, if you're going to – if you're going to take this up, if, if you're going to be a difference maker in this culture, you got to do it in a biblical way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, gentlemen, that was great. Two-hour podcast filled with a lot of truth bombs. I loved it. Um, thank you all for your time. I know you all are busy. I yeah, really appreciate it. And Thanks for doing it. Investing in the thank next generation. Um, Doug, would you close us out in prayer? And absolutely. And also just pray over everybody that's listening. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. What a great night. Thank you for these men of God. Lord, they're real. They're raw. They're relevant. And uh, God, we just bless you for the audience that Reagan has amassed. God, we pray that these next generation of young warriors, Lord, these men and, and young women, Father, would do twice the amount of work uh, that we've been able to do in our stint here on, on this third rock from the sun. So bless them, God, make them hungry, make them defiant, make them righteously rowdy and rebellious, just like the 30-year-old rebel from Galilee. Lord, save us from ourselves, and uh, I pray, Father God, that, that we could preserve this great experiment in self-governance by your power and through your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, Amen. ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. That was the No Bullcrap Podcast. Make sure to share it. 
Um, again, get involved with everything these guys are doing. Go check out their websites, get their stuff, support them financially, and be a part of the movement that is fighting for truth and for God's way. Uh, that is all we got for y'all. Thank you for listening once again. We'll catch y'all in the next one.